With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's a good track right there. Paul Freeman has nothing to prove. See that? It's 13 inches long. But a lot to say. Here's a, see that track right there? Look at that one. About Bigfoot. He must have come run out of here when he heard me coming. On Thursday, August 20th, around 9 a.m., Paul says he drove deep into the Blue Mountains of Northern Oregon to a place called Deduck Springs in the Umatilla National Forest. Well, I just drove up to the pond here, and uh, I know they frequent this area in, in uh, uh, August and September. And I just got out of the, my, my little car and walked around over here, and uh, there was a tracks here in the mud where they I think he was going to get a drink or I don't know maybe he was going to cross there or something but anyway I must have scared him Freeman says he's been searching for the legendary Sasquatch in the woods near the Mill Creek watershed near his Walla Walla home for the last 10 years in October of 1988 his son Dwayne got snapshots in April of this year Paul got video from a distance of around 69 feet this time camera in hand he was a whole lot closer. I started up the bank there, and I heard the brush and stuff popping up there. Oh, there you go. It looked at me once. Jesus. And uh, I kind of got a little nervous, and it looked at me, and then it turned and just kept on going, and it went into the brush there and disappeared, and I was looking for it with the camera, and... And I seen another one, smaller, is coming at me up there. Oh, God. There's two of them, I guess. After the incident, Freeman says he heard screams from the direction of the creatures. It kept him pinned down for almost two hours. Screams, he says he did not record. I ain't never been scared like I was scared yesterday. <laughs> I never have been afraid of man or beast or anything, but I sat up there yesterday and cowered down like a little kid. Is Bigfoot fact or fiction? I really got upset. Paul Freeman really doesn't care what you think. You know, <laughs> I don't have anything to prove to anybody. All he says is that he's seen enough. It's real. That's real, man. In the Blue Mountains of Northern Oregon, John Yeager, News 4 positively northwest and something just told me not to bother him anymore you know and i don't think i will 911 what are you reporting uh we got someone or something crawling around out here does a legend walk among us lurking in the forests of our world I can't tell. All I know is that my central light came on and I just happened to glimpse and see this thing running across the yard. A good-sized man or something that looks like a man. I don't know what it was. 
For over 15 years, we've talked with scientists, researchers, investigators, and witnesses trying to gain insight and proof around the existence of this mysterious entity. Jesus Christ, you better... Karen, see up. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh-oh. Okay, hang on. He's right... Is he in your yard, sir? Yeah, God, he's big. Okay, what's he doing in your yard? He's looking at me. Join us as we continue into the investigation of the Sasquatch experience. The Patterson-Gimlin film has been a tentpole piece of evidence for pro-Bigfoot proponents since being filmed in 1967. In the early 2000s, when I joined the online research community, I was amazed to see how many more pieces of evidence there was out there. I remembered seeing another piece of video footage from my youth on TV in the mid-1990s. And sure enough, stumbling upon the Freeman footage, I became reacquainted with my favorite video evidence. And to quote Paul Freeman, Whoa, there it goes. I would discover later that Paul's story is just as exciting and controversial as his video footage. I'm Sean Forker, he's Matt Adams, and tonight we have a very special guest on the program. Maz, why don't you go ahead and uh, brief the listeners on our guest tonight? All right, well, uh, tonight we actually do have an exclusive for you guys. Exclusive. Uh, yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm usually the one who does the whisper. Um, joining us tonight, we're honored to have a friend of mine, um, Michael Freeman. I'll call him Mike if that's okay with him. Uh, anyway, Michael Freeman is the son of the late, great Paul Freeman. Anybody who knows anything about Bigfooting knows Paul Freeman. Um, definitely a controversial figure in the field, um, but nobody can really deny his contributions for better or for worse. I personally think for better. Just a little briefing how Mike and I met, which is kind of cool. Those who know me know I love casts. I love to collect them. I'm always looking for more. There's just something cool about being able to hold them and... It puts kind of a reality to something that so many people think is not real. It's a fetish. Anyway, yes, it is. It's a foot fetish, as we, we like to say. I saw some stuff on eBay. I had contacted the seller because the seller said, um, if you want to know, I have some additional stuff. I got to talking to him, and he said he was Mike. And from there, we kind of started talking Bigfoot and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, we hit it off. So we've been friends since. So basically, yeah, uh, Mike Freeman is our guest tonight. There you go. Yeah, we're really happy to have him on the program. Mike, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no worries, guys. It's actually a pleasure. Uh, I was honored to even, you know, be invited on the show. Uh, I didn't know anyone even wanted to talk to me. So kind of a surprise, but it's nice to be here. Yeah, you found the two people who wanted to. You're the two the two schmucks dumb enough. But <laughs> Apparently, I found the two schmucks that were dumb enough to put me on the air. We're pleased to be able to be those schmucks. We really are. Your dad is one of my favorite researchers to follow when I was a kid. Uh, reading some of the uh, uh, reports uh, out that way and, of course, seeing his video. Uh, the video is probably my favorite piece of, of Bigfoot evidence, and though a lot of people don't put a lot of credence in Bigfoot videos, this one to me always felt real, and I think mainly it was because of your father's uh, narration as he's doing it, what's going on, he's actually experiencing it as he videotapes it. To me, that was always the biggest tell to why I felt it was it was the legitimate, uh, the real deal on video, and it's, it's absent from a lot of other pieces of footage. Well, it certainly is absent from the Patterson film where you don't have, you know, any audio there whatsoever. 
and a lot of other films as well. I guess we're lucky that, you know, my dad was able to get the audio recording there. And I've heard a lot of people say that it doesn't sound genuine, that sounds staged. Uh, I can tell you 100% from what you hear on that, that's the way that he spoke. That's genuine audio. If you were ever around him, if you ever met him, you can tell that he's being sincere there. And, uh, you know, that's the way that he, he would talk. Well, I never met him, but listening to that video, again, to me, it sounds like a guy who's out walking around in an area that's had some activity. He sounds a little, a little winded, and he stumbles upon this, and it happens right in front of his eyes. I think it sounds very legitimate. Maz, what do you think? It's fake. Absolute fake. We got my... No, I'm kidding. Um, but if I could reach through a microphone, I'd... Oh, yes, yes. If you could, we wouldn't be doing a podcast. I'd probably be charging people a quarter to, to meet you. Oh. Anyway, uh, as far as what I think of the video, there's definitely uh, – I, I like how both of you guys touched on this, the, the audio aspect of it, because that's something we don't have with the Patterson video, which is generally considered to be the greatest piece of evidence. And what would we think if we heard it? Because that could be a deal breaker or a deal maker. Um, obviously, there are people that like to – say they can make a living or, you know, uh, analyzing people's voice and speech and stuff like that. So who knows if the Patterson video had, you know, Roger Patterson or, or Bob Gimlin saying something, if we would have said, ooh, that doesn't sound real. Or even if you look at, um, you know, trailers to movies or scenes, if you change the score, it can dramatically change the feeling that, that is evoked. So mm -hmm. there is a haunting there's a haunting kind of tone um, to both the, the absence of audio from the Patterson video as well as a haunting tone to having the audio. Um, from the Freeman footage, and uh, it's hard to say what anybody would say in that situation. You know, it's easy to sit here, like watching a baseball game, saying, why'd you swing at that? You know, when you're here, we're sitting at home on our couches. So you can't really, uh, you know, understand how somebody might react in a situation like that. And I think that those words are chilling. You hear them in our intro, um, and it's just some of the most famous words in Bigfooting, and... Uh, I think it's the real deal, man. I do. Yeah, agreed. No, you always wish there was more. But the video, I think, still stands up to the time. I mean, the quality of videotape isn't what isn't exactly the greatest material to work with these days. But just the fact that we have something like that is, is just remarkable. And, you know, Paul, he did the research. This wasn't like one day he was stumbling around the woods with a video camera. He did his research, and that's what we want to talk about a little bit tonight. We want to talk about the man behind the footage. And, uh, yeah, Mike, too, maybe a little bit if we get to it, you know. Oh, I don't yeah, know. We'll Mike. see how it goes. <laughs> we just want to talk. We're just here to talk about my dad. No, we'll talk a little about you, too, I guess. I mean, it's the, only pro <laughs> it's the proper thing to do, man. We got John here. Yeah, so obviously we are very happy to have you here, Mike. Uh, just wondering, we're going to start with, you know, a little bit of uh, background and some questions regarding your dad and growing up the son of Paul Freeman. So uh, what was that like for you, man? Was it? I don't want to say celebrity, but was there a feel of that? Like, was he a celebrity in the Northwest? And um, did you face praise or maybe even, like, ridicule for, for doing that? What do you remember as a kid growing up as his son? You know, it's funny. It's not the first time I've been asked that question. It seems like everybody wants to ask me, what is it like to be the son of Paul Freeman? And to me, that's just a silly question because he's my dad. I mean, just like, you know, Sean, your dad, and, and Maz, you have your dad. That was my dad. And I didn't know anything else, anything different. I, I don't know what life is like not being raised around Bigfoot. And I, I certainly don't know what it's like to have any other father. So first and foremost, for any of the, the Bigfoot or Sasquatch stuff, he's just my dad. You know, I mean, he raised me, he, you know, played with me, he taught me stuff. And so that's the way I'm always going to view him. But obviously I was aware 
um, at some point of the Bigfoot aspect, and I was pretty young. I was only five when he had that the original sighting on June 10th, 1982. Um, and so I wasn't like super aware of everything that was going on until I got a little bit older. Um, and then it really came to the forefront of, you know, who he was and what he was doing and what type of, I guess you could call it celebrity or infamy, um, that he was receiving. And, you know, sometimes it was a little rough and, and other times it was good. It's kind of cool to see your dad on TV or to read about your dad in the newspaper. Uh, on the other hand, it's not so cool to be teased at school or to have people tell you that your dad's crazy or accuse your dad of, you know, being an alcoholic or being a drunk or something like that. So there was definitely rough times with it. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, you know, it was kind of cool having a dad that was, that was like that. And like I said, I mean, he's just my dad. I don't, I don't know anything else other than that it's so funny to see how the times have changed though if he was around today in his prime doing this stuff he'd be like a celebrity you know <laughs> he would be kids would uh, want him at the schools and uh he'd be doing finding bigfoot maybe <laughs> you know yeah possibly um you know he might be a celebrity he, he might be on tv i think um you know if you never met my dad anyone that has can tell you he had such a personality he was he was really a person that was bigger, larger than life, and everyone that ever met him has got some kind of story to tell, you know, whether it be dramatic or just funny. Um, so I think he'd be great, you know, on one of those shows. But in reality, most likely he'd probably just sit back and laugh at those shows. <laughs> you know, just if, I, if I'm just being honest, um, it's some of the stuff they do and and how the shows are kind of redundant and it's, a, a, you know, always out there at night, always knocking on the wood, always doing the howling and some of that stuff. and. I know they got to keep the show going and, and they're legitimate and sincere in what they're trying to do. And, you know, anyone that listened to the last show with Cliff, you know, that certainly came across really, really well, you know, with him. But, yeah, it certainly would be nice to think that if he was still alive today, he would be getting some of the recognition that he didn't get uh, because of the, the time period. So, you and know, I that's a nice thought and I do think about that. No, it's well stated, man. I think we're uh, part of the reason we're having you on the show today is to do that is because um, unfortunately, you know, we lost your father too soon and he hasn't lived to see what I guess the current renaissance, at least of Bigfoot in the pop culture, not necessarily the renaissance of Bigfoot in general. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of cool to have you follow up the show with Cliff because, you know, Cliff's such a well-spoken guy and he's he's part of that where he was a researcher that was brought onto TV. And um, so he's gotten both sides of it, but then we have you that's kind of representative of your father who was the, you know, on the timeline to the left of that um, before it became popular and okay. And he, he didn't have the luxury of, of having people uh, be kind of, uh, you know, sugarcoating Bigfoot and have that, that softened. Um, you know, there was none of that. He's kind of the one that helped make it accessible and acceptable today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And today you have people that are on TV and you have people that are celebrities and they're signing autographs, they're going to conventions and they're selling casts or evidence. You got websites online. When I was growing up, I, my dad was just a crazy guy and, and that's how, you know, he was portrayed and that's how it came across. And there was a very small group of people um, who looked at his evidence or his work as being legitimate, but for the most part within the public, or even if you watch, uh, some of the old news segments or read newspaper articles, uh, it was almost, um, you know, they were making fun of him at some points and sometimes with some of the things that were written or that were said. And 
there weren't as many believers and there certainly weren't as many people that were open to the possibility of believing. But now it's kind of an entertainment industry, so to speak, like in a way, um, which, you know, it really has come a long way, you know, since my dad was up and active in the 80s and in the 90s. So I just want to ask you this real quick. It's kind of starting at the beginning, before the his first sighting, uh, I believe in 1982, was was uh, your Freeman, uh, your Freeman, was <laughs> was your father uh, a fan, or uh, no, I don't want to say a fan, but a believer in Bigfoot? Was that part of his life? Did he have an opinion on it? Uh, absolutely not a believer. No. Uh, and my dad was a guy that grew up in the woods, mountains, uh, hunting, fishing, trapping, uh, he had done it with his dad. That's the way he was raised. It was just part of their lifestyle and how they survived and fed themselves, you know, throughout the year. And so he grew up hunting. He grew up in the woods. Um, never had ever seen anything that would lead him to believe in the existence of Bigfoot. Was absolutely not a believer. Uh, he thought those stories were for drunk Indians or old cowboys that had fallen off their horses too many times. You know, just something that he couldn't even fathom because he thought that he knew everything that there was to know that was out there in the woods because he practically, you know, lived there, spent most of his time for most of his life out there in the woods. So he has a sighting and it pretty much, it's it's the hook for him, right? At the moment he has a sighting, that's that's when this all begins. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, from the first moment he saw it, I remember him, you know, saying, and, and you can read uh, in some of the earlier, like, newspaper articles or quotes that he gives, that he instantly knew immediately uh, that he was not looking at a bear, and he, he knew that he was not looking at an ape or a gorilla, um, and he acquainted it to something that was closer to prehistoric man, uh, but something he had never seen before, um, and, you know, it it scared him. It uh, definitely shocked him, and put him, you know, into a, a nervous state, and um, he was hooked. I mean, it's, I've heard numerous people say that once you see one, you're obsessed with it. You get hooked on it. You've got to look for it. you gotta, you got to find an answer to that question. And, you know, that explains my dad 100%. I think the word obsessed uh, is a perfect fit in that situation. You know, by all well, accounts, you, your father wasn't a small guy. He was a he was a tall man. Uh, no, he was big. He was uh, six foot five, two hundred and sixty, two hundred and seventy pounds. So, running into something in the woods, you know, there couldn't have been really a lot that scared him. I mean, so something like this to shake him to his core, to hook him, you know, and to make a lifelong impact, and and uh, for him to de- dedicate himself like he did, you know, that's just it had to have been a remarkable sighting. Uh, yeah, you would think so. Um, I mean, knowing my dad being raised around him, uh, you're talking about a man that uh, he wasn't he wasn't scared of anything. You know, he wasn't scared of man or beast or or anything else that he'd ever encountered. So this would have been a first time situation, at least a first time situation since he was a child. I would think of encountering something that actually frightened him. Um, you think that you know everything there is to know about a certain situation or the mountains or the animals that are there. You're set in your ways and what you believe. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're hit over the head and you're thrown for a loop with something that you could never fathom. Um, I can only imagine, you know, what he must have actually felt. And 
you know, all I can acquaint is the stories and what he's told me and what I've read and what I've heard from other people. But, um, you know, I surely would like to know the actual feeling of what it's like to see something like that and have that course through your veins at that moment. Mike, as you stated, I mean, your dad's before 1982. I mean, he was an avid outdoorsman. After 1982, he continued to be an avid outdoorsman, a uh, great tracker. He knew he knew the outdoors, um, especially, you know, in uh, in the Pacific Northwest where you guys grew up. Did he ever mention, aside from Bigfoot, if you found any proof of anything else, whether it be like uh, an alien, UFO, ghost, or any other cryptid, or was it just specifically Bigfoot that he had uh, made mention of? Uh, wow, that's a good question, um, and something that. I don't think anybody's ever asked me, uh, something that certainly never doesn't really come up in conversation. Um, one time I can remember, uh, him telling the story of being in the mountains, uh, on a hunting trip, I believe. Now this wasn't the blue mountains outside of Walla Walla where he had the Bigfoot sighting, but this would have been the Cascade mountains uh, that run through the middle of Washington state, basically what separates Seattle from the East side and, and Walla Walla and all that, if you're not familiar but uh, in the Cascades on a hunting trip, apparently he encountered some strange lights in the sky uh, over the trees at one point in time. And this would have been years previous to having any, any Bigfoot sighting. Um, but I remember him on occasion talking about that uh, and just kind of how weird and eerie that was and how he had a feeling of just kind of you know, being watched or something not quite right and, and him saying that he, you know, hightailed it basically out of that area on that, that hunting trip and he took himself someplace else where he felt better. So there, there you know, was one other situation, but, uh, you know, can't really say for sure exactly what that was aside from possibly some paranormal activity. Do you um do you think your dad was the type of guy? I mean, obviously he he did tell you about certain encounters. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk about the big one after and uh, the one in '82. He wasn't quiet about it. He was vocal, not to just the family, but to his job and other people like that. Do you think he would ever keep anything that he saw a secret? Do you think there was anything he ne- necessarily didn't tell you guys? Oh man, <laughs> you got me with that one. Um, no, I uh, I don't think so. I mean, um, I think pretty much everything that was encountered or, or that he dealt with was, was probably at least, um, you know, told in confidence to my mother, um, if not directly to, you know, to me or either one of my siblings, uh, or, you know, the media. But, um, I think we pretty much know everything, uh, that has been encountered or seen. Uh, that's a tough question. I mean, uh, I suppose it's possible, anything's possible, but I highly doubt it. So obviously, Mike, your father was controversial in the field, uh, but there's no denying his contributions. There are many that call him a fraud, a liar, and a hoaxer, and since he's not around to respond to these allegations, would you like to say something on his behalf? Yeah, I mean, I would. And a fraud, a liar, and, and you know, uh, a hoaxer, you know, it's that all comes initially, at least, from Good Morning America. And that was a 1987, you know, uh, episode of Good Morning, of Good Morning America that he was on. Uh, him and Wes Summerlin uh, were on there. I believe Renee Hinden was on there as well. And what happened on that was some clever editing, I guess you could say, by the 
producers of that show uh, when he was asked a question of whether or not he'd ever faked any tracks. And my dad was being honest, and he said, yes, he had faked some. Now, that was taken out of context a little bit. The show actually edited the show, that question right there, and cut it off with him just saying, yes, I faked tracks. What they didn't do was play the rest of the audio for that, for that interview. And what had happened was, and my dad had actually made a fake set of footprints, like uh, carved out of wood. Um, he was stomping around, trying to make some tracks. And it was done for research purposes. It was done for scientific comparison. Uh, first and foremost, he was trying to figure out if somebody else was fooling him. Is this possible for somebody else to do? Um, also, he was trying to figure out the tracks that he was finding. Are they looking like these fake tracks that I'm making? Uh, and I think, you know, you can look at it. And I know uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Even has a quote where he says, you know, any researcher worth their salt has done the same thing. And it, that quote was in direct response to somebody that was saying something about my dad. Um, and I think you have to do things like that. And you have to, you know, first eliminate the possibility that you're wrong or you have to eliminate the possibility that somebody is fooling you before you can prove something to be correct. And, you know, I remember being, what was I, 10 years old at the time when they phoned Good Morning America. They actually did that interview in my house. I was sitting across the room on the other side and he explained this to the reporter that, you know, he'd made tracks. He was trying to figure out, you know, if they were comparable, if it's something that could be done, what would they look like? And, of course, they don't air that on TV, and all they air is him admitting that he made fake tracks. Whether or not he should have ever done that, you know, that's up for debate. Uh, but it certainly put a black cloud over him for the rest of his life and for the rest of his research. And there's a lot of people still today that will just say, oh, he's a hoaxer, like he admitted it on Good Morning America, without even taking the time to actually think about the fact that that's edited. Yeah, and it's, and, it's know, not a great he edit. may have been doing that. It's not a great edit either, Mike. <laughs> that he's talking about the foot cast, and uh, he's like, you know, he admits to making some casts, and then it like rough cuts to him holding a piece of tree bark that have scratches on it. Well, Scotland has its Loch Ness monster. Tibet has its abominable snowman, and we've got our own homegrown American monster out in Walla Walla, Washington, of course, known as Bigfoot. And Steve Fox recently was in the tracks of doing? Bigfoot. This is Bigfoot, or at least what Hollywood thinks he looks like. This is a story about Bigfoot and about Paul Freeman, 
Wes Summerlin, and Rene DeHinden, and what they saw, or said they saw, or believed they saw, or didn't see. Whatever the case may be. There have been an awful lot of Bigfoot sightings in the Pacific Northwest, so I flew to Walla Walla, Washington, to find out what the commotion is all about. You look right back at it, and you right off again. Uh, what did he do? What did he, he do? He got down just like he's good. You're saying he put his hands on his knees, on both knees and panted? And you don't blame me, I'll take your man right here. He brought with us Michael Dennett, a Bigfoot investigator and skeptic who wanted to meet some of the folks who claimed to have seen the critter. We want some really solid evidence of it. You're saying he wouldn't know a bear if he saw it? I'm saying that's possible. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it. Now, wait a minute, this thing get real rude. <laughs> this is just farther than just words now. Let's don't be calling nobody a liar, because I'm about to get nothing in their mouth besides teeth. Enough already. Here are the facts, such as they are. Bigfoot, or Sasquatch, or the abominable snowman, has been reported in various parts of the world for centuries. He's recorded in the tribal lore of Pacific Northwest Indians, said to be 800 to 1,000 pounds, kind of a cross between a gorilla, a man, and a bear. Just dirty old thing, you're nasty. Wes Summerlin, a hunter and trapper who's part Apache Indian, says he's seen a small family of the creatures several times over the past 10 years. You've been, what, tracking for most of your life? Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, there's three of them up there. Hey, it's part of the, part of the element. It's there. You live with it. You get along with it. I don't know. I always had the feeling that they were kind of attracted to Grandpa. And it seems to me that a few of them may actually know him, you know, and come to trust him. Hey, you ever look one of them in the face? It's just like looking at a human. He looks just about like you, except the taller. I'm built about like you, and they're a little humpy on the top. Paul Freeman, also a hunter, says he has seen Bigfoot a couple of times. We took Paul up in a small plane to look for Bigfoot from above the remote Blue Mountains, where he first spotted the creature in 1982. Down there is where I saw him. On that, on that ridge down there, yeah. I think the Sasquatch, or Bigfoot, was on the other side of this uh, little patch of timber here watching those elk because that's why they were so spooky. He come right down past this bush here and, and down this... Uh, by this bush here and, and stepped right out into the the road and then went he just turned and looked at me and I started backing away. Since the turn of the century there have been more than two thousand reported sightings of Bigfoot himself or his massive footprints. Plaster casts are often made of them by believers. Paul and Wes took me into the mountains to a secluded site where an alleged Bigfoot track was found a couple of months ago. See there's a track up here? Out here this was made down. Early this spring. This, you say, is a track. These are toes. That's a foot. That's right. That's the ball. Where you sit down, take your shoe off while I take mine off. And lay your arch right in here. See, you see, I go down here and it come back up again for the toes here. What does this prove, if anything? Proves that something's moving. What does that mean? Moment of truth. What does that mean? That means my guy, they got to change their attitude or they got a fake foot. Have you ever investigated a Bigfoot sighting that seem to you to be legitimate? No. Never? No. Footprints can be faked. They have been faked. We know of at least one person who claims that he hoaxed Bigfoot. You tried to make fake foot? Yes, I did. To create prints? Yes, I did. And then you admit that was a fake foot, but you say these are real? These are scratch marks or claw marks. This is all hair. That's hair. Now, can we take this and get it analyzed? You betcha. 
So we had this stuff analyzed. A New York City laboratory said it was just like human hair. But that doesn't necessarily prove it didn't come from Bigfoot, a human-like creature. My contention is, is that the burden of proof is on the promoters of Bigfoot. Enter Rene de Hinden, who's been traveling around the country for years following up on Bigfoot clues. He owns 51% of the best and most controversial evidence to date. What does that film show? It's an animal with fluid motion. As one expert tracker told us, if this is a man in a fursuit, he had to be trained to walk this way. I'm intrigued by the mysteries. And of course, like the old time prospectors, at the end of the rainbow, you hope to find what you're looking for. Some people see Bigfoot because their life is boring, because to see a bear is not exciting, but to see a Bigfoot is. I'm gonna shoot one. Put one down, you know, for good. I think I'd give him a Bigfoot just fine. Would you give him a Bigfoot? Yeah. You see, you never will be able to prove that the Sasquatch does not exist. The myth, yeah. the legend will carry on. Well, I don't know. But if he exists, I wonder if he has a TV set. And if he exists, I wonder if he watches at 7 in the morning. It's 56 minutes after. We'll be right back. It's not quite like it is today. And during that time period, you know, it's something that was not believable whatsoever, mm -hmm. something that most people weren't taking seriously. And so even if you're on a show like Good Morning America, for example, they're not going to portray you as being super serious. They're not going to portray your explanation for why you did something. No, obviously they're just going to make it seem like, yeah, I faked tracks, but I want you to believe me now because that's what I'm telling you is that these ones aren't fake. You know, um, on that same episode, they made Wes Summerlin out to look like some crazy lunatic guy who didn't know the difference between a bear and a Bigfoot. Yeah, they you made know? him look and, bad. Um, yeah, they made him look bad. And, you know, they just showed him, like, jumping around and, and getting into positions. And, and he wasn't portrayed, you know, well either. And, and Wes Summerlin was a, a great man and a good guy to be around, you know. And they just made everybody look bad. Well, you know, on the on the point of what you brought up before, uh, the faking the footprints, I'm about to say something that I'm sure has been said, but all the people out there who think that you have to believe every piece of evidence or else you don't believe in Bigfoot may take offense to this, uh, but I'm going to say it anyway. Bottom line is, uh, even the holiest of, of uh, casts and footprints that we revere as being real, we'll never know, at least up to this point, we don't know. We have ones that we think are real, but we can't prove it. However, we can definitively say if a track is fake, if we fake it. So I think you definitely have a lot more to learn from doing a fake track because then you know the telltale signs to look for. Uh, if that makes any sense, I hope it does. But uh, <laughs> Oh, no, yeah, I mean, it certainly does. And, you know, you take the fact that, like, in 82, my dad is finding the casting prints that have dermal ridges on them, you know, which are or would be uh, incredibly difficult to fake. Uh, and I believe uh, at one point... A uh, forensic analyst for the FBI um, made a statement about my dad saying that either those tracks were 100% definitively real or he would have to be the best counterfeiter that ever lived. And if he was, there's a more lucrative business I'm sure he could find himself into, other than like faking, you know, put tracks that have dermal ridges on them. Um, it's just silly, but, you know, when it comes down to it, 
the idea that every Bigfoot track that's ever been found is fake, that's almost a ludicrous idea. To oh, think agreed. that there's somebody out there stomping around the woods that has made every fake track that's ever been found since, what, the mid-1800s? I mean, is, is that even something that's possible to fathom or think about? Uh, it's, you know, the uh, I think that idea, to think that every single one of them was generated by a man and fake is more, like, unfathomable than the idea of Bigfoot existing. <laughs> I was just going to say, that was the sound of everyone's minds being blown. Yeah, that person had to have a lot of frequent flyer miles to get all that coverage. I don't think in the 80s, was there anybody else really casting footprints besides your dad? Oh, well, yeah, there was people out there that were still casting footprints. Um, I mean, West Summerlin, obviously. Uh, was casting footprints working right there around with my dad. He still had Renee Hendon. He was still out there. John Green, Peter Byrne, they were still, you know, doing work in casting prints. Um, and those were, you know, the main guys. Uh, I believe Tidmus was pretty active still. But in the quantities you know, the, your dad was casting, like, were they... The but in the quantity your dad was getting, like, were they... Your dad had quite the collection. Uh, he did. He had, he had a lot of prints. And, you know, um, going back to the liar, faker, hoopser statement you know we talked about uh, that's always been one of the the things people say that want to refute his evidence is that he was too lucky he had too many casts um and again i just think that that's silly first of all um nobody had as many casts as bob Tittmus. bob Tittmus had i think it's estimated to be around like two to four hundred like wow. different casts that he had made um and i believe they burned up in like a house fire or a boat fire, something like that. But I mean, that guy had unfathomable amounts of evidence in casts, um, and I don't. People don't run around and accuse him of you know faking all of his casts. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad didn't have anything even close to that. Uh, we're talking like fifty or sixty like foot casts, you know, around there, um, which really isn't that high of a number. Uh, then you had some hand casts and stuff in there, and hair samples and all this. But you know, he did have a lot of evidence. But it's not like he just went out one day, mm-hmm. found 20 different Bigfoots that were leaving prints in the ground and casted them. I mean, we're talking about 15 years of being in the mountains at least three to four days a week for half the day at a time, um, putting in countless hours of researching, tracking, uh, recording his research, you know, writing everything on a map going to the same spots, looking at travel patterns, going over and over and over again, and sometimes finding nothing for weeks at a time. So, I mean, if, if you take four days a week, if, let's just take three hours a day, and that's cutting it short, for 15 years, having 50 or 60, like, footprint casts really isn't that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that's just a, a ridiculous argument against him to say that he was too lucky or that he found too much. Because people are just thinking, like, but he went out, like, once a month and made two footprint casts. Like that. They, don't, they don't realize how dedicated my dad was to what he was doing. Um, and, like, sometimes it felt like we didn't even see him a lot because he was in the mountains so much. I mean, he, he put a lot of work in for 15 years. I mean, a lot of work. You stated that, I mean, he put so much time into that, and it was not, it was over a span of time. Now, 
at least in recent times, there's kind of been that idea looking back that there's, you know, like an asterisk next to his name that he was a fraud or whatever. Do you think it came because now we just read about it and we don't we don't necessarily live through the time frame and see the discoveries as they happen that we can get a real sense of time the same way when you read statistics of you know an athlete and you can't really quantify that and understand it because we're just reading something that already occurred yeah i think it has a lot to do with it i think you have a lot of people now that want to find something and they go out and they find nothing and they look back at somebody like my dad who found a lot of stuff and i'm not going to say it's jealousy um, I don't really, I, you know, want to use that term, but it, I think it's hard for them to fathom maybe how he could have found that much stuff when they don't find anything. Um, but you have to remember, I mean, he was in, I guess, what I would call the perfect storm. My dad was in the perfect area at the perfect time, and he had the time to dedicate to do the research, and he was educated at what he was doing. He was an experienced hunter. He was an expert tracker. He had been a game guide. He worked for the Forest Service. And he had access to areas that civilians don't have access to at that time going into the watershed, which is off limits to the public. Um, and he was able to be in some areas, you know, like I said, perfect place, perfect time, lots of evidence. Um, and he was able to document some great stuff. And, you know, today you've got, you know, Joe Blow next door who's going to go out to the state park here and run around at night with his flashlight looking for some eyeshine, and when he doesn't find anything, you know, he's got nothing to tell anybody. And you look back on some of these other people, and, you know, I don't know what you say. Maybe, gosh, he's too lucky. Maybe, you know, he must have been faking that because I can't find anything. I I don't know. I'm not quite sure how to answer that, you know, or why they would put an asterisk, like, next to his name, but, you know... Yeah, sure. You know, you combine that with, you know, like I said, Good Morning America, some of the things that were written about him, and you end up with a person that's larger than life and almost on paper looks to be too lucky. Wow. I think you answered that question. I think it's perfect to, <laughs> as we could have, we could have hoped. Uh, almost psychic and, and some of the uh, ways you're just answering the questions before we're able to ask them, and that's, that's really good. Uh, oh man, my pen's gonna run out of ink from crossing all these things off. <laughs> good flow, good flow. Like it's, yes. uh, but you say a lot that makes sense, and I guess that's the point I've been trying to illustrate a little bit through here. And I'm, I apologize if I haven't been doing it well enough. Is that you know the timing that this wasn't just a guy once or twice that walked out into the woods and was able to get lucky that he spent the time. And and you're talking about I think I read something along the lines of perhaps fifty thousand dollars he spent in the pursuit of this. Uh, that's an estimate, yeah. That's actually a, a quote that my dad had given at one point in time is that he had figured he spent between fifty and a hundred thousand um, dollars on on this research. I mean, uh, my parents sold a house to support it. Um, you know, he sold other personal items to support it. Worked a job. My mother worked a job. My mother uh, was a housewife from the time I was born. Um, up until the late 80s, you know, never worked a day in her life. Uh, my dad was an old-fashioned kind of guy like that. That's the kind of family we had. She ended up having to go to work. Uh, there was a lot of money spent and not a lot of money made. So anybody out there that seems to think, you know, somebody would do this to make money in that time period, you know, the late 80s through the mid-90s, that's just crazy. Um, my dad made $2,500 doing a commercial for Dryer's Ice Cream. 
that's the most money he ever made. That's it. And you're doing I this mean, for free, if he, so. If he spent $50,000, uh, I doubt, seriously, even with the copyright on the video, interviews, pictures, dryer size cream, I doubt he ever made $10,000. And that would probably be a stretch. Mike, between the between the money and the the time sacrificed and the uh, you know negative energy and and people making fun of you at school or w- what have you, I mean, how did that affect him? How did that affect you? How did it affect your brother, your sister, and your mom? Um, well, I know I had to be stressful on my dad. Um, you know, he ended up working nights and getting up, you know, getting off work, going to sleep, getting up before dawn, going to the mountains, you know coming home, taking a nap, working nights. My mother worked days. Um, as far as me and, and my brother and my sister, you know, we never wanted for anything. Uh, we weren't a wealthy family, you know, by any means. But uh, my parents made sure that, that we were taken care of. We had shoes. We had clothes. You know, if there was something we really, really wanted, if they had the means to do it, they did it, you know. Um we never, we never went without, I guess, you know, you could say, and, and even if that meant eating elk or deer or, or bear, uh, during the winter, if that's what we ate for dinner, that's what we ate for dinner. You know, we were always fed and we were always clothed, but it did get stressful. And, you know, that's part of the reason I think that, uh, you know, near the, the end, my dad did, for example, sell a large, like, of his collection of evidence, you know, get rid of that. The money was there and it was good. Um, there were contracts drawn up with certain TV shows and stuff to, to use some of the footage. And that was nice extra income, but you know, he had a passion and he made it work. And, um, you know, we were never homeless and, you know, we never wanted for anything and it, it worked until, you know, it was done and, uh, it was done. I'm just, I'm just drawing some, you know, I'm putting myself in the position like he's a man that was really dedicated to what he did. And uh, it's nice to know that the hobby didn't get, well, actually more of an occupation for him that it didn't get too carried away with him. (laughs) Easily could have, I think, but he still had the foresight to kind of pump the brakes when he had to. Yeah, you know, I I think he did, especially when it came to, you know, spending spending money. I mean, that's why, well, first of all, he didn't need fancy equipment. He had his natural abilities and and the things that he had learned to track, uh, to hunt, to trap. Secondly, we didn't have the money for fancy equipment. The camera, he got the footage at Duck Springs in 92. It was a hand-me-down from my uncle, my mother's brother, who had given him a camera because my dad couldn't afford to buy one. You know, it wasn't anything fancy, certainly nothing like we have today. Uh, he didn't have fancy GPS systems. He didn't have a fancy still frame camera, uh, didn't even have a fancy truck. I mean, it, it was always something that had to be fixed, you know, um, there were a couple of things my dad kept that were, that were nice. And that was his gun and his boots. And, you know, aside from that, it, he worked with what he had to work. Do you think there's something to be said for that, that in this day and age where technology has advanced so far, it seems like we're kind of at a, maybe we're having too much quote unquote evidence and not enough real evidence, but somebody like your father who was, you know, during a time when technology was very minimal, was able to get you know, so much great evidence. Do you think that evidence is actually hindering us rather than helping us? Or rather, uh, technology? You know, I I think it's fascinating that the two best pieces of 
visual evidence that we have are 1967 and 1992. And today, with all the technology, all the great cameras that we have, thermal imaging, night imaging, all that, we can't get anything that even compares to the Patterson film or my dad's film. I think that's really interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm not quite sure why we can't get anything, um, <laughs> but you certainly can't. I mean, the other side to that would be with the technology we have today, if somebody does come up with a video that's better, it's going to immediately be called fake. Oh, yeah. We do have the technology to render something like that. So in my mind, in my opinion, I mean, in, unless there's a body brought in, I don't think you're ever going to get a better picture or a better video than the Patterson film. I, I think that's always going to be the number one. Nothing's going to surpass it. And if it does, it's going to be criticized. To further answer the question, I, I think that the technology may actually be a hindrance. I think people are relying on their GPS systems. I think people are relying on their fancy cameras and their, you know, field cameras that they're going to set up because they think they're going to catch something that's not aware that you have a camera strapped to a tree. Um, you know, people are relying on audio recordings and playing sounds and, and doing all these crazy things that were never thought of before instead of actually just going out there, tracking, keeping records of it, being quiet and actually trying to just see something. People, I think, are just too obsessed with trying to prove it instead of actually just trying to find it. Well, I mean, we do have a lot of great pictures of blurry nothing, so there's there's small victories, oh, my friends. Great branches. Lots of lots of blob squatches, lots of uh, dark spots in trees, um, lots of eye shine. Yeah, I mean, you know, and you get that every day. It seems like every other day there's 15 pictures on the internet of somebody that took a, a picture of a I don't know, a raccoon in a tree or something that apparently is, is Bigfoot now. That, but, that's giving him too much credit, man. That's better than what most <laughs> of it is. You know, and, and I don't know if it's people trying to be relevant or if it's people, like, trying to become famous or just trying to get themselves out there for their 15 minutes, which is, you know, more than easily to accomplish in this day and age with all the social media and YouTube and all that. I mean, if you want your 15 minutes make a video of yourself, like, you know, juggling fire covered in milk or something, and you don't have to, like, claim that you're seeing, you know, Bigfoot in every picture you take every day that you go out. That might be a little harsh, but, you know, um, sometimes I just look at some of this stuff, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. No, I think we do, too. Uh, I think when it comes to what, at least, you know, speaking on for myself, not speaking for Maz, but I think he and I are the same wavelength here, most of what we see today is garbage, and it's not researched, and it's not vetted, and it's, I think some of it is people that are very confused, and I think there are people that really <laughs> want their 15 minutes of fame. And, and you know, we always talk about this Bigfoot community, this mythical hand-holding utopia that we all aspire to go to that doesn't exist, but in our minds it, it, it may, may be one day. There are just not enough people that really want to take it as seriously or really want to defend the evidence. And I know after a while, when you become such a staunt defender of what you feel is legitimate evidence, it gets tiring because the assholes in the field and the idiots always outnumber the logical sane ones. Always happens. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree. I, I mean, it certainly at least you know seems that way to me. And 
you know, I do every once in a while, I come across something that catches my attention and I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, that's, that's pretty interesting. Or, you know, that's a possibility. That's kind of cool. That maybe, but it's, it's few and far between. I mean, I, I have much more respect for the people that go out and look and maybe they post some videos, they post some pictures and they just flat out say, Hey, I didn't find anything today or, you know, look at this. This is interesting. This might be something, but I'm not sure if it is. Um, there's just too many people that are coming up with this and saying, oh, yeah, this is, you know, the Bigfoot family that lives in my backyard. Unfortunately, this was taken on an old flip phone camera, and it looks terrible. But if you look right there in the middle, you can see the shadow from where it was standing before the frame closed, and it moved, and I didn't actually get a picture of it. Um <laughs> It, that just seems like it's happening way, way too often. Well, I think well, there's a... Know, if, go ahead, Mess. I was just going to say, if it's got a red circle, it's got to be legit. Uh, <laughs> you know that. That's the rule, if it's a red circle. But I saw, you know, we're kind of getting off track a little bit, but, you know, I saw one yesterday, a post, and it was clear, clearly uh, a, a big, fat tree in the background, and people said, look at this beautiful, cute little juvenile Bigfoot. Uh, she's adorable or whatever, you know, and this could be a million posts, so I'm not really calling anybody out. And the worst part of that was that not one person said, well, what the hell are you talking about? Everything said she's adorable. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. And for a split second, I was on the cusp of writing something and then realized I would be attacked. Uh, if anybody who oh, didn't give, <laughs> give a crap about Bigfoot saw that uh, didn't know anything about Bigfoot, they would say, what am what, I'm supposed to – was the tree? What am I supposed to say about the tree? And it's just like we have a responsibility as people that are passionate about the subject and that believe in the subject to to only get behind and and uh, you know put our stamp of approval on things that are legitimate because we're already craziest to people. So by putting this garbage out there is like you know and uh, people like your dad who had stuff you can actually touch and that these are the people that are hating and throwing rocks at this guy. It's ludicrous. Insane. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one way to put it, you know, and I, I think that in one aspect, first of all, I guess it's nice that the community supports each other for the most part. And, you know, they're, they will agree with each other and they'll say, oh yeah, I see that. Or I agree with you, but I wish more people were honest. You know, I, I, and what I really think is happening is when you want to believe in something so badly that you will believe anything that's put in front of you as long as it supports your cause, you're not helping your cause anymore. I mean, that's dangerous to do in any other aspect of life, whether it be religious or political or personal, but you see it all the time in this field where people just want to believe so badly that they just randomly, without thought, just believe everything that's put out there. Um, and it's not positive. I mean, there's no... It's not a surprise to me that a good majority of the population ridicule and laugh at people that believe in Bigfoot when you look at some of the stuff that's put out there. It's just, there's some ludicrous evidence. Well, I think part of that goes to, again, people relying too much on technology to do the work of the human brain and people that aren't really trained to be in the element or use the equipment that they're trying to use to get the evidence. So let's look at something like a, a camera, Mike and Maz, an SLR camera. Anybody can use one. It takes some skill to operate one, right? And you really need to have some talent with that piece of equipment to get some really good pictures. When people fail to 
recognize they don't have that talent and they snap pictures and they're so excited about what they see and the first thing they do is throw it up on the internet. Uh, you know, logic goes out the window and uh, hello, everybody's going to pay attention to me. Just creeps up, and that—that's the mindset they get into. And there's way too much of that, and not enough critical thinking. The difference between researchers back then and most hobbyists today are the researchers back then had the time in the field. They were experienced. They grew up in the outdoors. They spent time in the outdoors, uh, and they didn't have all this technology hindering them down. And when they did get a piece of equipment. They tried to learn how to figure it out before they went out in the out in the field and really tried to use it. And you know, if this if this stuff, these pictures are so good, don't waste them by posting them on Facebook because anybody can take them and claim them for their own. Go oh, straight my. to the newspaper. Go National straight to the Geographic. News. Exactly. That still exists. Uh, is it online though? <laughs> yeah, I, I I have National Geographic on my iPad. You used to get in trouble in school. You would you would hide in the library in the back section with the native issues. Oh God, only you. <laughs> Ah, uh, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but uh, trying to, let's get back on track because we went way off course, and uh, we may actually get a picture of a Bigfoot. We're so far into the woods here. Don't anyway, <laughs> probably probably just a branch, though. But um, so it's we, a shrub. We were touching, no, it's, let's circle it red, and then it's a Bigfoot. Um, so, so, Mike, we were talking a little bit about your, your family and the pressure that you know may or may not have been uh, on their shoulders from, from your dad's research, both uh, you know financially and just uh, emotionally. Um, we touched on your mom a little bit. I mean, what was her involvement? Was she always supportive? Did she actually lay, you know, put a hand into helping with the research? How about your brother Dwayne? Um, was he frequent, you know, frequently involved in that? Uh, well, my mom was supportive. You know, we'll go ahead and start with her. Uh, she actually did a lot of documentation on the evidence that he found. And if you go through it, and look at it. A lot of times, you'll see her her handwriting uh, where she dates it, you know, and, and puts the location on there and help my dad file it and, and document it and she kept all his pictures and paperwork and all that stuff in order and filed away and handled a lot of the contracts so you could say that she she certainly was supportive and i even remember her being out in the the field with him um and you know taking a look at some footprints or helping to mix plaster or taking a photograph you know something like that um it certainly did did wear i think on her a lot, especially at the time that he he was away, um, as it progressed and, and went over through the years. But you know, uh, for the most part, very supportive. And you know, when my my dad died, you know, my parents had been married thirty eight years. I mean, they'd been together since they were teenagers, a long time. And uh, I don't think she would have ever stopped supporting him. And I don't, you know, I certainly don't think that's the reason that he ever stopped. Uh, doing research I, that was more to do with his health um, and just trying to move on you know with his life at a at a certain point you know other than than worrying about you know my mother her support would have been undying to go to the the second part of your question uh, my my older brother Dwayne uh, for a few years was was pretty highly involved um, I say that with reservation because he was a bit older than me and he's actually 12 years older than me. So he remembers a lot more of the ridicule and some of the teasing that came in the early years when I was still younger and wasn't quite really exposed to it or aware of what was going on. And I know that he personally went through some rough times, probably rougher than mine, um, at school and in the community, 
with some people and took some teasing, took some hazing and, and some things like that. So there was always a bit of resentment there with him, I think. But he did spend time in the field with my dad. Uh, my brother, you know, was an experienced hunter um, and actually snapped the photographs that were taken in 1988 uh, with my dad. But it was my brother that was that was behind the camera to do that. And for anyone who's not familiar with those, uh, there are two of them that were pictured in the teaser trailer for uh, my advertisement on the show, so you can certainly take a look at those. But we um we forgot to circle them, so we'll have to go back and do that so people can see them. <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious. I think so too, man. And folks, send your complaints to Maz. Here's his email address. <laughs> uh, but, uh, Sean, what's what's your email? Can you text it to me, and then I'll say that's my email. Certainly, that we'll, we'll make. You got it. We'll, we'll vet <laughs> oh, all the good hate mail <laughs> for you. And is that the uh, from what I understand? Is that the famous buttocks photo from the butt the butt print uh, casts? Uh, well, it's not from the butt print cast, no. Um, but the the one photo itself is um, referred to as the buttocks photo. Uh, because you can see like the the anatomy of the buddy's pads, like through the picture. Um, lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The muscles. What is walking there. Um, the actual buttocks print, what you're referring to, which, you know, I'll be honest here, uh, may or may not actually be a Bigfoot buttocks print. Uh, I know there's a lot of people that think that uh, it's probably where an elk like backed into the bank, um, has nothing to do with those photographs. Ah, see, I did not know that. Thank you, sir. That's why we have, have guests that can enlighten us on the show, so we all can learn something. Yeah, the, the picture is deemed like the buddy's pad photo. Um, uh, some anatomy expert looking at the pictures and don't even, for one moment, think that I can recall their name or where they were from whatsoever, because I just can't. Um <laughs> I thought they were very interesting. I thought they were very interesting because of the anatomy and the way that the buttocks looked in the pictures. Um, and to them, that was proof that it was like a living animal and, and not a man in a suit because you just wouldn't get that definition um, if you you know had a suit on and were all padded up or whatever. So that's why those are referred to as like the, the buttocks pads uh, photographs. And that was uh, October 5th, 1988, uh, about 10 a.m. in the morning, just outside of Walla Walla, Washington, um, on the outskirts of the Mill Creek watershed. 
So there's many misunderstandings and misinformation around the Freeman footage, Mike. And recently some video was made public showing some additional tracks that uh, were found previous to the sighting itself. Uh, you've got the original footage. Can you clarify the origin of the footage and if there's actually uh, if there was actually any footage filmed on the on the same day as the sighting? Yeah, um, this is actually something I've kind of been uh, trying to deal with lately for a little while. I guess it kind of resolved itself out as best as it could. But yeah, there was a a version of the D Doug Springs video that was released that had some supposed juvenile track casting pre-footage that had never been seen before, brand new to the public. Oh, look what we found and discovered. Um, yeah, that doesn't belong together. So first and foremost, I can tell you there were no juvenile tracks found on that day before the actual footage was filmed. That juvenile track casting that you see in that version of the video actually was shot four months earlier at a different location that's known as Green Peak. Um, what happened was my dad was going around and doing some displays at local malls, uh, Walla Walla, the Tri-Cities here and there, stuff like that. They were paying him to come in, set up displays you know, get crowds in there and hopefully, you know, help out the stores or whatever they do in, in that type of situation. And he had a display set up and he had some tracks out there and hair samples, whatnot, pictures, stuff like that. And then he had a, a TV set up with a VCR. And a friend of his that works for the news station in the Tri-Cities had made a video for him. It was kind of a compilation video. It had, of course, the D-Duck Springs footage on there, the famous footage, it also had two news story interviews that he had done. There was some other footage on there um, of him and my brother, I believe, Wes Summerlands and some of the footage. And then there's this juvenile track casting that my dad's doing. Um, that day, those casts were made. My brother was actually with him and the family dog. Um, and if you watch the, the full video, which is on a completely different master videotape than the D-Duck Springs footage, you can hear him talking to my brother um, and talking to the dog. Now, um, what's happened is, and I'm going to just leave names out of this completely whatsoever. That I don't think that's necessary at all. But a friend of my dad's, a person that I actually highly respect, uh, got one of those videotapes from my dad. He then, not too long ago, uh, when he was asked if he had a good quality copy of the Edith Springs footage, passed that tape on to somebody else. Now, that person got a little too carried away or thought they were smarter than what they actually were and pulled the juvenile footage out, edited it to the beginning of the Edith Creek footage to support a claim that they've been trying to make that they think there's a baby um, in the, the sighting footage. It doesn't belong together. It doesn't go together. Um, it was never intended to be seen together. And even on the compilation video, it's separated by 15 minutes of additional other footage. Um, so anyone who's seen that, anyone who wants to correlate that with there being a baby like in that original sighting footage, they don't belong together. It, it's, it's something that was never intended that way, and it's something that was edited on purpose, and it's something that I was not super happy about, 
and I actually contacted uh, the individual and some other people as well um, and attempted to set the record straight. And, uh, you know, it sort of was in a roundabout way uh, without the person actually taking responsibility for, for doing that. So I'm not sure if that answers your question in the best possible explanation, but, you know, that's what happened with that. Well, personally, I'm waiting for the uh, the director's cut, the Steelbook edition, with the additional 20 minutes of never-before-seen footage, um, unedited. It's the Arvert now. Uh, <laughs> what I was going to say is, somebody in the Bigfoot community not exactly being on the up-and-up, you know? I, I don't know. So, so you can definitively say, then, that those are two separate things that were spliced together. That was not the same day. That's not part of the Freeman footage. Is that correct? I can definitively say that, yes. The juvenile casting is not part of the Freeman sighting footage. It was not taken on the same day. It's not even taken in the same location. If you watch it, you can tell when it cuts from the juvenile casting to him walking up the road for the sighting that there's a hard edit there. It's not a great edit. You can tell the weather's not even the same. Um, and that the scenery is, you know, an absolute different location, especially if you're familiar with the area. You can tell that, that it's, it's a different location. So was it just stupidity or just someone trying to pull no, the I don't, one? I don't think it's stupidity. I think it's somebody that wants to make a claim that they discovered something that nobody else has known and that they think that there's something in that sighting footage that's not there, which is a, a claim that there's a baby in what they call the Christmas tree. <laughs> and if you've seen the footage, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's the, the tree that the Bigfoot walks in front of brushes against the tree, the branch moves, and someone's claiming that when the branch moves, it's because the mother is is picking up a, a child um, and carrying it off. And if you have juvenile casting before that, with my dad, like, saying, oh, there's a mommy and her baby here, and they've gone up the hill, and they've come back down, and, I'm, you know, this one's run up to find its mommy. I can see its tracks right up here. Let me go ahead and cast them, and then... My dad says, here, I'm going to look around, see if I can see anything else. And then you cut right to the actual sighting footage. And he's like, oh, there he goes. Well, you have a good correlation there to go ahead and make that claim. What I think is really funny about it, uh, personally to me, and, and I don't know if anybody else has caught on to this yet, but if my dad knew that it was a female, and if my dad knew that there was a baby there, and had he been casting juvenile tracks, why then, when he makes the film, when he catches it on, on the film, when he walks up the road, when it comes out, why does he say, there he goes? And why does he say, he has gone up the road and come back down? Um, why would he equate it with being a male if he already had it in his mindset that it was a female that had a baby? And that's the part that doesn't make any sense to me, and I think that's where this person got a little, you know, too smart for their own britches um, and didn't even realize what they were editing together. It doesn't make any sense. But but again, that's that's the thing with the community, and I'm not picking on the community, um, but when there's an idea, people tend to want to, instead of uh, scrutinize it, especially if it's from somebody that they respect in other respects or has kind of shown that they're, uh, what they're putting out there has uh, credibility to it, uh, they just want to just want to support it they don't want to look at it any further and that was a question i was going to ask you which i totally agree assuming that your father could see better than the video shows obviously uh why wouldn't he say that and uh so i'm, I'm glad that you attacked that and brought that up 
Yeah, and, you know, I think it's pretty commonly accepted at this point because there's a lot of people that feel like because of the body shape and because of the size of the belly of the animal that's in that footage um, that it probably is a pregnant female, and I think that's kind of a highly accepted, um, you know, idea at this point um, that he actually did get a female on footage. I think that just adds to the legitimacy of the video that he's speaking as if it is a male. Uh, you would have to think, you know, that if my dad had set out to, let's just say hypothetically here, if he had set out to fake a video of a pregnant female, why would he refer to it on camera as being a male? Do you think that he would want to point out to the world that it's a female? Um, and the fact that he says, you know, there he goes, and he's obviously thinking that it's a male, and now it's commonly accepted that it's a female. To me, that just adds legitimacy to the actual video itself and, like, his initial reaction to it. Well, I mean, it is 2017, so regardless or irregardless, you know, the Bigfoot used either bathroom at Target, so that's good news. <laughs> that day in 92, do you have any recollections from your father or just from, you know, Doreen and not necessarily when you're watching it, but just personal experiences that somebody watching the video wouldn't know? Uh, that day, yeah, I remember that day really well. I was actually um, in the basement of my house. I had some friends over uh, from school. Uh, that I hung out with and we were on summer break and we were playing video games uh, in the basement when my dad came home and he actually got home. It was pretty late that day um, when he came back. But, you know, I can tell you first and foremost, uh, I don't need to see a Sasquatch. I don't need to see any other pictures. I don't need to shake hands with one, you know, if I'm out in the mountains. Um, my entire life, the only time I ever saw my dad scared of anything, including the day he died, the only time I ever saw him afraid of anything is when he came home from getting that video. He was white as a, a sheet. He was, he was pale. He was visibly shaking, and he was scared. Um, and my dad wasn't a person that scared. And, and to me personally, seeing him that way, I mean, that's the only proof I will ever need of the existence of Bigfoot, I don't need anything else. And, and I could die tomorrow without any evidence ever being like put into light or coming forth um, and know without a fact that they exist. And that goes beyond just believing, but actually knowing um, just from his reaction when he came home from that. And, and he certainly was excited at, at what he had gotten. And at the time, uh, he thought he'd hit the jackpot. I mean, that was it. It was over with. He'd proven it. He got a video. Um, you know, it's something that he'd been looking for for a long time, and he was going to shut up everybody that didn't believe him and that called him crazy or called him a liar or a hoaxer or a drunk. Um, he, he'd had the jackpot, and unfortunately, it wasn't the jackpot. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I remember that day well, and I remember that night, and I remember watching the video for the first time and just being amazed and, and some of the friends that you know were there with me actually sat down and and watched the video and kind of a funny correlating story that really has nothing to do with that but I recently went to my high school reunion and one of the guys that was there um, was one of the kids that was at my house that day and he was telling my wife you know and some other people that were standing around as we were conversing Man, I remember watching that video with your dad. I tell everybody every time we see that video, 
I was there the day that he came home with that. I'm the first person that ever watched that. Um, so it's not just me, but other people, you know, have some memories, you know, of that as well. But yeah, that was, that was certainly the day my dad thought that it was all over and done with. And, you know, it's, it's still going today. Uh, how did Dr. Meldrum get into the equation? Like 1996, right? He shows up at your house one day. Yeah. Can you shed some light on that for us? What was that like? Uh, yeah, it was, you know, uh, late 95 or 96. Um, I believe 96. Uh, I'll go ahead and trust you on that. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Meldrum came down with his brother, uh, to surprise my dad. Um, and I'm not quite sure what the intentions were from, from Meldrum. I, I don't know if he was looking to expose my dad as a hoaxer or if he was just interested in meeting my dad and thinking that he was probably most likely going to be looking at a hoax from what he'd heard. Um, but I, I do know at the time that Meldrum was not uh, a big believer or supporter um, in Bigfoot at that time. But anyway, to get back on track here, he showed up with his brother uh, unannounced, knocked on our door. I was home at that time. I, you know, have some memories of that day. Uh, introduced himself to my dad and asked if he could see some things, which my dad went ahead and obliged him of and, and showed him some things. And, you know, um, one of the great things about my dad, I guess you could say, was that he, without... Um, With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Any you know uh, anger or bias or anything like that? My dad would just kind of dismiss you know, people that, that didn't believe him or his detractors. And, and he was always polite, you know, to everybody. And if anyone skeptic or believer wanted to see something, he would, he would show them and he would talk to them. And he, he would explain things to them. And, you know, he was really good and respectful about that. But, uh, Meldrum showed up at the house with his brother, wanted to see some stuff. My dad offered to do that. And then my dad offered to take him to some tracks, um, that he had found, I believe they were probably like a week old, something like that. I don't think my dad had even casted them because he didn't think they were very good. Uh, when he found them, they'd already been in the ground for a while. And With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Took Meldrum there to cast the tracks and come to find out, well, you get some great set of footprints that Meldrum absolutely falls in love with. Casts, takes back to study, studies the trackway, finds dermal ridges on the tracks, uh, metatarsal breaks, and kind of one of the earlier starts to Meldrum actually really being involved, you know, in, in Bigfoot and the research. We know that your father had his group of uh, researchers, and I think we're going to try to talk about some of them. Um, can, can you tell us anything about, you know, West Summerlin or, or Grover Krantz? Do you have any memories of them coming over the house or interactions with them, both as children? Or you as children, uh, yeah, not I've, them. <laughs> that would be a time. I actually, well, you know, Wes and Grover, they're easy guys to remember. Yeah, I, I remember a lot about, you know, Wes and Grover um, growing up. And uh, my dad was actually pretty pretty close to Grover, and, and he was no stranger, you know, to our household. And, God, he was kind of a kooky guy. And, and um, what I remember most about Grover probably when I was younger was just that he spoke all the time. It's like like pig pen on peanuts with dirt like following him around, but with Grover it was like a cloud of cigarette smoke um, that just circled around him and like just went everywhere that he went. Um, but Grover was cool. Grover is he's a character. Uh, I remember being also in his uh, I guess you call it his lab or his office there um, at WSU as a kid and just being flabbergasted and blowing away at all of the bones and skeletons and the specimens that were there. And, of course, you know, that's like Disneyland to a kid who's sitting there and looking at, you know, all these things. But Grover's kind of a kook, but, you know, very, very serious um, about his work and uh, a very, very smart, smart man. Uh, you know, just a good guy uh, and a big supporter of my dad and a lot of this stuff. And, you know, I say that because he was a big supporter of, like the 82 dermals and he's a big supporter of Wrinklefoot and some of that stuff. And also on occasion, you know, my dad would bring casts in or whatnot and, and Grover would take a look at them and there's nothing there. And he didn't want to make copies of them or he didn't want to study them because they didn't have, you know, the dermal ridges or they didn't have what he might think would be, you know, the sweat pores or the metatarsal breaks or anything like that. And, and he would just kind of, you know, dismiss them. And so it's not like he was taking everything. Um, there was a lot of evidence that he, he wasn't looking at, you know, as well. Um, but he was, he was a good guy. I remember Grover really well. And West Summerlin, of course, uh, you know, lived right there outside of Walla Walla. And he was kind of a funny old guy, you know, as well, very animated. Um, the guy to easily like gets, um, I'm not going to say irritated, but someone that you could, you could really kind of, uh, gosh, I don't even know the word I'm looking for here. Just get him up and going real fast. You know, uh, one of the things I remember about Wes is that he used to name all the Bigfoot. 
So he, he would have a name for ones that he saw or ones that he had prints of or casts of. Um, but I spent a lot of time around him and his house and uh, his kids and grandkids, you know, and his grandson, Jonathan Summerlin, is still active, and he's, you know, there in uh, Walla Walla in the Blue Mountains, and uh, he's a really good guy as well, and I think, Maz, that you're, you've talked to him a few times um, as well. But, yeah, Grover and West, good guys. So I remember them really well. Yeah, I've, uh, I've actually gotten connected with uh, John recently, thanks to yourself, and you guys are, are two great, uh, you know, you're, you're great at carrying the legacy forward. Um, him, obviously, of his grandfather and you, of your father, and uh, it's great, uh, especially for people that can only read about these things in the in books. You know, I've read about them in books, and to actually have people you can talk to and ask questions, you can't do that with a book. If you want to answer to a question, you have to find it written down, so it's, uh, it's appreciated from both of you gentlemen. Yeah, but, uh, you know, what I can tell you, um, just, you know, to kind of drive that home, you know, especially about Wes, is, you know, Wes Summerlin was a real mountain man. I mean, one of the, one of the last of the dying breed and even more so than my dad, older than my dad. And, you know, they worked in close consumption and they agreed on a lot of stuff and there's a lot of stuff they, they disagreed on. And I, I know they, they taught each other a lot of stuff too. But, um, when it comes to the big folks community or researchers, uh, there's no one out there that I have more respect for than Wes Sumlin. He, he was a great researcher and he, he was a great guy, and he's a legend. Speaking of legends, it's pretty well known that Rene DeHinden uh, didn't like to keep quiet about uh, your father and his work. Do you remember any interactions with Rene and your dad, or were they always rivals? <laughs> you know, I almost talked about Rene and on that last question, talking about Grover and Wes, because uh, I remember Rene well. You know, um, more so when I was younger, um, very young, and then he stopped stopped coming around at, at one point, obviously. But, uh, you know, and what's funny is I remember him as being, like, the little funny man uh, because he, he was, you know, small in stature and had the the little funny accent, and that's kind of how I remember him. But, no, they, they were uh, not always rivals. There was actually a point in time when they were actually pretty, pretty close and pretty good buddies. And Rene used to come down, and he would go you know, into the field with my dad and they would ride trail bikes and make casts and look for evidence and uh, spend a lot of time with my dad and my brother as well remembers Renee Hinden pretty well. There's, uh, you know, something happened there and caused some bad feelings. And Renee kind of turned on my, my dad a little bit. But, you know, contrary to popular belief, they were, they were not always rivals. They... They actually spent a lot of time together. So a lot of people just seem to think that, you know, Renee came out, uh, you know, right from the get-go and didn't like my dad and his tracks and all that stuff. That's not necessarily true. And and if it was, it's not something that, you know, he led the audience or, or let on. It's nice to clear the air on these things, Maz, Mike. Get the record straight. So speaking of all these researchers, I mean, do you have any memories of, of Tom Powell, Vance Orchard, Bob Timmis, or maybe anybody else that you can recall? Uh, well, well, you know, we'll start with the first name there, uh, Tom Powell. I've actually never met Tom Powell, uh, personally. Uh, we've had some email correspondence, you know, back and forth, but, uh, he is someone that I respect highly. Um, and he was someone that my dad respected very highly, uh, to the point where my dad actually gave him, uh, a good amount of 
of evidence for him to have in his personal collection and personally asked Tom Powell if he would show that evidence to his kids that he taught in school um, and kind of keep the, the legacy going and, and just help kind of educate them. But Tom Powell's a, a really good guy. I have a lot of a lot of respect for, even though it's, it's someone I've never met personally. Um, Vance Orchard as well, a lot of respect for Vance Orchard. Uh, he was a guy that was around a lot, um, a really good guy. I remember him and his wife very, very well. And Vance actually wrote my dad's obituary that was published in the Walla Walla Union Bulletin uh, when my dad passed away. And um, you'll never meet a nicer man than Vance Orchard. He was genuinely just a good person. I don't remember if I ever met Bob Fitness personally. Um, I have a photograph of my dad holding the Hyapalm cast that Bob Titmus casted in California. Uh, the photograph was taken by Bob Titmus when he came down in, I believe it was August of 1982 to meet my dad and to take a look at the castings my dad had made. Um, he took a picture of my dad holding that and he had given the cast to my dad as a gift. Um, I don't ever remember personally meeting him. Uh, I do know that he was a great field guy, a uh, good tracker, good hunter. Uh, he's a respected guy, but uh, not someone that I can personally remember meeting, although I'm sure I probably did. I would have been five years old. Almost like the Star Wars Cantina was your house. It was like a who's who of uh, all these, these crazy characters. I'm sure there was some some weird you know, uh, well, I'm not going to go down that road. But I, oh, there's so. yeah, there's there's a couple that you know. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, John Beck George uh, or not, or that name. But that's a another kind of kooky, crazy person that was uh, around for a while. And I'm familiar I know with that him. He tried to con- he tried to convince my dad that uh, what he saw in '82 was a 4,000 pound robot from outer space <laughs> that had been sent to Earth. Uh, John like Eric Beckyard. So, <laughs> there's uh there were some finally. crazy people around, you know. <laughs> but finally, you've been waiting for that name to come up. You know, no, I'm just I'm, I'm just waiting. <laughs> I'm the I'm only man to ever get him to hang up the phone. I got him to hang up on really? me. Yeah, I he and I had this verbal repertoire on the radio one time, and he insulted me, and I insulted him back, and uh, he had enough, and he hung up. So I, I hold that distinction. Of the first person to make Eric Beckard tap out. Well, now I know what I have to do tonight, Mike, so prepare. <laughs> that guy was nuts. Yes. Um, so, you know, your dad is synonymous with Bigfoot, or was, and always will be. Um, he was a human being, uh, from what I understand. I'm sure you can attest to that. But did he have other other passions and hobbies that we may not know of away from Bigfoot? I mean... Yeah, uh, you, Sean, myself, we have other things we like aside from Bigfoot, so I imagine we he do. does. Ah, uh, no, man, you caught me. God damn it. Um, <laughs> no, uh, if you could go ahead, Mike, and just tell us more about your dad, we may not know. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, there was a life there before Bigfoot, and there was, you know, a, a life short as it was after Bigfoot, and one, of course, during Bigfoot. I mean, um, Obviously, he was an outdoorsman, and that's where he loved to be. That's where he spent most of his time, and it was hunting and, and fishing, you know, trapping, camping, those things. But he also was an artist, and he liked to paint, and he liked to draw, uh, and he liked to carve and make sculptures and do all that stuff. Uh, and he, you know, was a, a very good uh, mechanic, actually taught me 
how to work on and fix cars. And I remember being younger and, and taking, you know, carburetors or whatever apart and handing parts to me for me to scrub and clean. That was my job. But, uh, you know, my first experience into that. But, you know, I mean, he was, um, he was a man. He was a regular man. And he worked and he had a family and, you know, he had his passions and he had his hobbies. And when he was younger, he was quite the rodeo cowboy. Uh, and he rode bareback and he performed in a lot of rodeos. Uh, he was actually a Golden Gloves boxer as well. Um, and there's even a story, and I say a story because who knows if it's true or not. Uh, there's a lot of stories around my dad, you know, as I will say often, anyone that ever met him has one, but there's uh, even a story that he played against Will Chamberlain and the Harlem Globetrotters um, in some basketball game at some point in time. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff there, but when you break it down, you know, he's, he was a man and he's not uh, just Bigfoot. And it's a shame that that's all that name is synonymous with because there's, at least to me, there's a lot more there than just Bigfoot. Yeah, and speaking of a lot being there, I mean, you are Michael Freeman, but you're also your own person. Uh, I think we've done a great job of kind of encompassing a lot of things uh, spanning your dad's career, and I'm sure we'll get back to that. Obviously, that's what people are interested in, uh, but let's talk about you a little bit. I mean, what are your passions? What are some of your interests? Let's learn about Michael Freeman. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I'm just me. You know, I, I guess that's that's the best way to put it. Um, what are my passions? Well, I don't know. Sports, I guess. From the time I was I was born, um, that was my thing. You know, day and night, football field, basketball court, you know, boxing gym, whatever you want to call it. You know, that's where I was, and that's what I was doing. Um, unfortunately, you know, too much of an old man now to, to get by much in that, although, you know, that's what my job is. I coach gymnastics. Um, I've been doing that for a long time, so I'm lucky enough to still be involved in sports and have that be a career for me that, that pays me money, even if I can't physically perform anymore. Um, aside from that aspect in the work, I love to, uh, you know, build models and paint. And, uh, I've got quite a little, you know, collection of that. Uh, love my old monster movies, love my horror movies and, and all that stuff. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm married. I have a, a beautiful wife and, you know, I've got a five-year-old son and he puts up a lot of my time. And, and of course, you know, just like me and then my father before me, he, all he wants to do is, is fight and wrestle around and, and be outside. No better way to be. What yeah, kind of- I mean, it's a great way to be. It is. And I think people miss that sometimes now, being out and enjoying the world. So connected to everything else. Yeah. And he loves to camp and he loves to fish. And, you know, I make sure that I try to do that stuff with him that, you know, my dad did with me and, and teach him all that stuff. And, you know, just I remember, you know, taking him and learning to fish and the first time and, and trying to explain to him and showing him how to, you know, put the, the hook on and put the bait on and, which brings up, you know, a funny thing because with my dad, you know, he'd take us fishing and we were a big fishing family and it seems like that's what I was doing every weekend for the majority of my life was, was I was out fishing somewhere. But uh, I remember with him, it was when you can tie your own hook, you can have your own pole. So I remember being like a small child and sitting there and trying and trying and trying 
to actually tie the right knot to get my hook on to impress my dad so I could actually like bait my own hook and have my own pull because he wouldn't do it for me. He made me learn how to do it myself. You know, getting away from me a little bit and back to him, but, you know, that's the kind of dad he was and that's the kind of, you know, man that he was. And I learned a lot of stuff from him like that, you know, self-sufficiency being, I guess, probably the, the biggest lesson I ever learned. So, Mike, uh, do you yourself believe in Bigfoot? Um, have you ever had a sighting? Do you go out in the field? Have you seen tracks? Do you care about, uh, you know, carrying the mantle, so to speak? Uh, well, I mean, we did cover it a little bit earlier that uh, I, I am a believer, and it goes beyond, you know, being being of a believer. And in that aspect, I agree with, with Grover Krantz, who I believe said, you know, believing in something is a term that you use because it, it makes you feel a certain way. It makes you feel good. Or it makes you feel like you belong to something to say that you believe. Um, I'm convinced that they exist. And to me, the question will never be whether or not they exist. To me, the question is, what are they? And I think that's far more important. And I also think that it's a far greater task to prove that they don't exist than it ever will be to prove their existence. So... You know, to answer the question, yes, I, I am a believer. Um, I have never actually in person had a sighting. I was not, I guess you could say, lucky enough um, to have that type of encounter like my, my dad was and my older brother as well. Um, but I have been very close to one, and that is an eerie feeling. Uh, I remember being with my dad, I believe I was uh, 12 or 13, um, and... We were out and actually got caught up in a rainstorm, a pretty heavy rainstorm, heavy enough that we needed to take shelter. And on our way back to my dad's pickup truck, actually coming upon some tracks that were behind us that were so fresh that they were not yet wet. And I remember my dad ushering me to the pickup, uh, getting inside, locking the doors, uh, turning you know the engine on and running the heater, uh, turning the headlights on, basically telling me that it's there, it's probably watching us, seeing what we're doing, you know, making sure that, you know, we're not there to harm it or, or whatever. But uh, I have to assume that we were we were very, very, very close, uh, close enough that he was convinced that at that moment it had its eyes on us. Never actually got to see one, though. So fortunately or unfortunately, I guess, it depends on how you look at it. Um, if I had, maybe I would be obsessed with it like a lot of people are, and maybe I would be out there you know, constantly trying to carry on that, uh, you know, Freeman and, and, and carry that, that torch forward, which is something I, I don't really do. I wouldn't say that I'm active in the field. On occasion, I will take a look at something. If something is reported or happens close to where I live, you know, I might take a drive out there. I might look at something. Somebody might tell me about something that interests me. I think in the last 10 years, I've probably went four times to check something out, and none of those times they have been anything like whatsoever. I mean, really nothing there. A set of prints one time that were so washed out by the rain that it could have just been a guy in work boots going down a trail. I mean, honestly. So I wouldn't say that I'm, that I'm active in the field whatsoever, but, you know, that certainly doesn't mean that I'm not educated in the field you know, either it's, it's something I grew up with and uh, I am just as educated, if not more so than a lot of these people that you see out here, you know, trouncing around with their, their cameras and whatnot. Um, I just, 
you know, I'm too busy and I have too much of a life and I don't want to spend the majority of my time doing that. And I'm not going to, you know, be that person that does that. And part of me thinks that, you know, later in life before I died that my dad may have, you know, slightly regretted, you know, doing that. And I know that the last interview he ever gave uh, was with Tom Powell uh, and for the, the BBC. And one of the questions, you know, that came up was about him not doing it anymore and and kind of leaving that legacy behind. And, and my dad said that if one was crossing the street right now in front of the house, that he wouldn't even step outside to take a picture of it because no one would believe him anyway. And in the long run, it just wouldn't be worth it. And it's something that, you know, has stayed with me and, and I do think about, and, you know, I don't know, maybe one of these days somebody will convince me to do something and maybe they won't, but, uh, finding Bigfoot certainly tried, you know, animal planet, uh, three years ago, um, approached me and tried to get me to, to come on that show. And whether you call it just smart or just not caring enough, I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, I turned them down and I, I don't have any interest in doing that. I'm not looking to be, to be famous off my name or, or for that, you know, that was my dad. And, first of all, I'll never get out of his shadow. So even if I wanted to do something like that, it's, I would always be held next to him and in regards to him. And, you know, as big of a man as he was, his shadow's even bigger. And it's something I could never come out of. And I think that personally, my belief in way is I hope nobody ever finds them. I don't want a body. I don't want someone to kill one. I want them to be left alone. And I don't really want to be a part of of exposing them. Recently, Mike, you've become acquainted with the Bigfoot community. <laughs> and throughout the night, we've touched upon it uh, in different ways. And you've probably seen a lot of the unjustified, unwarranted comments and the crazy pictures. And, you know, how do you feel about that? How do you feel when you see a post and you see someone, you know, just making stupid statements or just thoughtless statements about your dad's work? Do you bite your tongue? Do you respond? How do you, how do you handle that? Let me just say that for the most part, I've had a really good experience with the Bigfoot community, um, and it's something that uh, kind of surprised me, and I wasn't really aware of the existence of it until a couple years ago, and then just recently have gotten more involved, but I, I've met some some really cool people and, and had some good experiences with that, and obviously, you know, Maz is part of that community, and, and Tony, and yourself as well, and, and also uh, Dave Groves, um, you know, who's a good guy, and I'm friends with him. I've had good experiences with the community, and I've also had some not so great experiences with the community and I've had some people personally message me and say some kind of nasty or rotten things and you know, they just get blocked. That's pretty much it. I, I don't waste my time talking to them and as much as I would like to just jump out there and, and defend my dad at every turn, it's really not worth it because it's just going to be an ongoing situation and for the most part, I just bite my tongue and I do see things that are posted and I do see people that uh, make statements or post videos or pictures of stuff that I think is silly, you know, for lack of a better term, um, ridiculous, maybe even, you know, fake. And usually they just bite my tongue. And Maz and I have had some personal conversations and he knows how I feel about this because sometimes I'm like, man, I just want to say something about this and I'm not going to do it. Like, I, I'm just not going to put myself out there and I'm not going to start that controversy because I saw my dad go through it. And I see the things that people still say sometimes about my dad. And, and whether or not I have personal feelings one way or the other, 
I don't really want to be the guy that says that about somebody else either. You know, um, that's why earlier when we were talking about like my dad's video and stuff, I'm just going to leave names, you know, out of that kind of stuff. I'm not going to call anybody out and I don't want to start that. But, you know, there certainly is a lot of reaching within the community and it's a lot of people that really, really, really want to believe. I think you stated that uh, very eloquently. And I think it's a struggle that Sean and I even have, and I think anybody who uh, comments on something or puts themselves out there, you know, for every 100 photos I see, I might slip and say something dumb on one that will catch heat, and I'm sure there's stuff on here that people may take offense to, and it's a hard line to walk for us. You know, I've been lucky enough, um, Mike, to have some original photos from you, which I cherish, and I told you, and I tell you all the time that it's just like, you know, it's you have visitation rights, I'm just holding on to these. Because people don't realize is that, to me, that's Bigfoot history. To you, that's family photos. And I think it's hard for people to separate that. Um, and I think that uh, it's easy to speak ill of someone without realizing that there's people left that have to deal with that. So it's it's a double-edged sword. I think there's those in the community that definitely know your dad's work and, uh, and appreciate it and realize what he's meant to it. And that we have shows today like Finding Bigfoot, and we have uh, Bigfoot T-shirts you can order online because of guys like him who who put up the and you know did all the hard work when it when it wasn't glamorous and it wasn't cool. And that's why today is so important to have you on the show to to let people know that. Agreed. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, really. It's without the guys that came before us that we wouldn't be able to be doing a podcast like this, or uh, not to get all mushy or sentimental or any of that, but. Uh, because this is supposed to be a fun show, Maz. Um, but it, it's important <laughs> that we, you know, we we do respect the history of uh, of what we're doing and the legitimate work that went into this. And I don't know. I I'm just thankful. I'm thankful that the footage was taken. I'm thankful of your father's work. And again, somebody I've always appreciated it. It's just really cool. And I'm just fortunate we're able to talk to somebody associated with Paul Freeman and get that behind the scenes, the real story, because that's what's really important. It's not so much. Uh, what was seen because the world was a different place back then in terms of technology and availability and you know it's nice to be able to to hear the behind the scenes story of the the man behind the footage and and i just want to you know really thank you again for coming on and being very candid about everything with us yeah absolutely well i, I appreciate it and you know i uh was looking forward to the chance to, to talk to you guys and talk about some of this and i had promised tony and i had promised Maz that you know you guys would be an exclusive and i wouldn't talk to anybody else and they got turned down like five other podcasts <laughs> waiting you, you for them to actually, <laughs> you know, actually come by and, and, and get some work done. And, and some of them turned down because I was waiting for you guys and uh, a couple others turned down because I just don't want to talk to those people, you know, but, um, yeah, I appreciate being on the show and, and you know, uh, being able to, to talk about my dad and I'm not going to say, you know, necessarily defend him or convince anybody because I don't think there's anything really to convince anyone of or defend, you know, if you're a believer, you're a believer. And if you're not, you're not. And everybody has their, their own opinions and their own faith and, and the things that they want to believe in. And that's okay. Um, I'll talk to skeptics all day long. You know, it, it doesn't bother me one bit when someone, when someone doesn't believe. Um, but I do think, you know, speaking to all subjects, uh, not just this one, that if you don't at least take the time to consider then you're making a mistake. 
And I, I don't want you to think you're getting off that easy because it, it sounds like we're done with you. We're not done with we're you. We're not. Man. That just kind of. We, we, a... still, we still have an hour and 15 well, minutes. Well, right, guys, I... by the way, and uh, I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> All right. That was uh, Michael Freeman uh, hanging up on Sean again, number two now. Uh, so, so, so speaking about, we spoke about your, uh, your dad for a lot, you know, a lot of it. We spoke about your mom, your brother. Um, so let's get to your wife. I mean, you, you mentioned you're married. Uh, how does she handle this? I know that recently I, I, I kind of take credit for coaxing you out of your, your cave of, uh, you know, being away from us crazies here in the big footing world. But how does she feel about that? Does she have any interest in it? Um, did, did she know about who your dad was, this aspect of him before she married you? Uh, any of his work or, or, you know, what's 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 the deal there? Uh, well, no, she she did not uh, know who my dad was. Mm-hmm. Um Actually, uh, my wife, her name's Whitney, um, and beautiful, beautiful and supportive woman. Couldn't ask for a better wife. I just want to go ahead and, and, and say that right there out on the air. Uh, just a, a beautiful human all around, so I'm, I'm a very, very lucky man. But um, both my parents, you know, had, uh, had died before we even met. We got married uh, without her ever knowing. Um, it's something I didn't talk about, and it's you know, something I hadn't talked about for years, actually. It's one of those situations where you never know how someone's going to react. And sometimes the anticipation of how they're going to react is, is worse than, you know, what actually happens. And, and so we met and we dated and we got engaged and we married and, and she never knew. Um, and it wasn't until a little bit later that it actually, you know, came out. And, you know, for her credit, she's, uh, she's interested in it. You know, never um, poked fun of me or anything like that. Never doubted anything. If I want to show her something, she's interested and she's supportive. And, you know, um, I've never asked her point blank, you know, whether or not she is a believer. And I probably never will. Doesn't matter to me, you know, one bit. Uh, what matters to me is that she knows that that's my dad and that she respects you know, my dad and she respects what he did and she thinks it's cool that I was coming on here tonight and and she does think it's cool that I'm starting to talk a little bit more and then kind of get myself out there and not just, you know, live in my little rabbit hole, you know, and never talk, you know, never talk about it. But uh, no, she's really good about it. And her little sister actually is quite into uh, Bigfoot and finding out some stuff. And she's kind of new to it, but she's very interested. So that's someone that, you know, I get to talk to as well in the family and, and my son Grant, um, yeah, he's totally like, oh, it's Bigfoot, it's Bigfoot, and then wants to watch like videos, and then he's always asking me questions. Dad, is Bigfoot real? Is Bigfoot real? And like all this stuff, and uh, so it's kind of cool. And you know, he's got um, my dad's old field hat uh, that he wore, and and I gave it to my son, and he likes to wear that around and act like he's a cowboy or you know, some kind of zombie killer or whatever, but it's, you know, it's kind of cool to see my dad's hat, you know, on my son. So I think I'm a lucky guy in, in that regard. And uh, speaking of your son, I mean, what what does he know about his grandfather? I, I know this might get a little touchy, so I apologize, but just curious, does he ask any questions about him? Um, does he know, you know, the full spectrum of what he did in the Bigfoot community or how he's regarded or, or do you plan on really going in depth when he's a little bit older? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, he's only five, so, you know, as far as, like, the spectrum and how it's regarded, he's not really aware of that. What he knows is, is basically what we watch or pictures I show him. You know, he sees the, the D-Duck Springs video online, and, you know, we watch it or whatever, and, and he, you know, points out Bigfoot and gets all excited. Or we look at pictures and stuff like that. But, you know, um, aside from that, you know, not much. I mean, I tell stories, you know, about him and stuff like that. So he knows a little bit, but as he gets older, I guess we'll get more in depth and, and kind of talk a little bit more about the whole thing and how it's regarded. And if it's something that he's interested in, you know, great. If it's something that he's not interested in, then he's not interested in, you know, we'll talk about something else. It's, you know, this has never been something that I am considering or even willing to force on anyone or shut down up down their throat you know, that's that's never going to happen so apparently maz missed the memo and thought he was writing for the oprah show uh this week so. <laughs> did i did i give everyone a car or something that i don't know about <laughs> some really uh, touching questions here maz man oh you're, god you're a softy at heart you know that that's i think that's well, we're going to be good partners moving forward well exactly plus you know i always keep the tissues close to the computer wow oh, no, no. <laughs> Well, you know, Maz is a married man now, so he's got to start thinking about all this stuff because I'm sure he's, you know, is going to have his own little brood here uh, one of these days <laughs> popping around. So, oh, you know, no. they're going to want to know the full spectrum of how he's regarded in the artistic community yeah. and the Bigfoot community. So he's just he's just preparing. That's all. That's, it a, is. that's that's the name of my autobiography. It's going to be called Maz Adams from Brood to Brood. <laughs> brood to Brood. <laughs> it's like this has been a roller coaster of emotions, you know. Uh, and I usually don't like roller coasters, so maybe I should keep away from that from for the future. We no, this is great. This is that. good stuff. This is <laughs> we could win an award for this. I don't know what who what sicko would have an award and who would be dumb enough to vote for us, but I I will accept it on behalf of both of us, Sean. <laughs> You're going to have to because <laughs> I'm going to be dead. You know, um, I, oh, God. I will say, you know, in 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 regards to that conversation we just had, one of the one of the things I will say is um, they've seen it a couple times on occasion. You know, I'll pull out the Dryer's Ice Cream commercial, and I don't know, either one of you fine gentlemen have ever had the uh, experience of watching my dad's Dryer's Ice Cream commercial, um, but it, it's something to behold, um, <laughs> just for the fact that he was not a really good actor, uh, number one, um, and number two, it's just kind of silly and, and ludicrous, but we will pull that out and watch it every once in a while, and my, my wife and, and Grant, they, uh, they both... Um, they laugh at that. They think that's pretty funny. So well, I, I find I myself am, uh, laughing at it as well. <laughs> I'm lactose intolerant, so I have no interest in buying that. No, I'm kidding. I'm sure it's delicious right now. <laughs> I, uh, what a dick! <laughs> <laughs> but you know no. what? I'm a I'm a glutton for punishment, so I don't care because it's it's. I'll, I'll deal with the aftermath of it after. I love me some yeah. ice cream. And just so you know, just to drive that home again, that was Dryer's ice cream. Dryer's ice the cream. The most Are delicious they... ice cream on earth. Dryer's ice cream. So good, you can't get enough. We're okay. getting some now. Thank you. Thank you for that. I better get a check in the mail. I'm YouTubing uh, it right now. I'm, I'm trying to... Is <laughs> no, as the, no, as the story goes, my dad was not very good at his lines, and part of the commercial is him eating ice cream, and as the story goes, he ate so much ice cream that he got sick. Yeah, I have it right here. I just sent the commercial to Maz so he could see it on YouTube. So that's the. I, and if, if you hear anything, that's my stomach churning. It's starting already. Quite the gym. It's, uh, it's, it's a good commercial. You know, it's funny because I, I remember sitting at home, like, on the couch, like, with my family, and then my dad come on TV, like, on a commercial. So, you know, that's, I guess that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, the commercial's not that bad. It's just the chops in between. The the black <laughs> screens with the words on it. Uh, 
Paul Freeman, Sasquatch Observer. That's Paul not right. Observer. Yeah. <laughs> he was I he saw had him Bigfoot. in a... <laughs> He must have been about eight feet tall. Takes another bite. Eight hundred right? pounds. <laughs> well, that's because yeah. he was eating. He was eating that ice cream and uh, <laughs> lots of good for your bones and for your your hair. Um, but <laughs> it was unbelievable. I think that's what he says. It At least he didn't say like unbelievable. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I saw Bigfoot with my own eyes. About eight foot tall with hair all over. It must have weighed eight hundred pounds. Now, here's something really unbelievable. Edie's Grand Light is as good as regular ice cream, but lower in calories and 93% fat-free. Scout's honor. If anything could lure Bigfoot out of the woods, this just might. So we, we did touch on this a little bit before, actually a lot bit before, but it's still something I want to talk about and bring it home. Um, so if your dad was still with us today and he saw the state of the Bigfoot community, what would he think? You know, how would he feel? Would he support shows like Finding Bigfoot? Um, would he still be researching? Would he be um, doing conventions? Would he be interested in uh, doing engagements and teaching people? Would he be involved in the field? Or, as you had mentioned before, do you think he was burned out um, towards the end and, and wouldn't want to partake anymore? Uh, well, you know, he was such a personality and just such like a vibrant like guy. He'd probably be starry in some TV show. Uh, that's what, you know, I just kind of always pictured is, you know, if, if he was still alive or they had this kind of thing going when, when he was. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. You know, doing his research that he'd probably have as a TV show. Um, no, I think he would be all right. I think that, uh, you know, it would be nice for him to see some type of positive recognition within the community and it's, it's one of the things that I, I really wish would have happened was that he would have lived long enough to really get some positive feedback and some positive you know recognition for for what he did um and so i'm sure that if, if he was still alive he probably would you know make an appearance here or there and maybe you know give an interview here or there maybe uh, maybe not he might tell people to go jump in a lake he doesn't want anything to do with it 
you know, and he's one of those guys that he, he was honest to a fault, you know, and you never knew what he was going to say because he was always going to tell you what was on his mind and he was always going to tell the truth. And so who knows? He, he might, uh, he might not approve of it, but, but I think that for the most part, he probably would. So Mike, I think to kind of bring everything home finally, and this has been a great, crazy journey and we, we've really enjoyed it and we appreciate you being here, but how do you want people that have an interest in the field to remember your dad? Uh, but you know, more importantly, Overall, how do you remember your father? You know, I just hope that people remember him as a guy that worked hard for what he found. Someone that, you know, was a pioneer and that helped, you know, the, the research advance. And someone that, that did it the right way. That put in the effort and that put in the time. And that made some, hopefully, you know, to be considered, you know, significant uh, entries of evidence you know some i just i hope they remember him as someone that helped advance the science and you know, as far as i go how i remember my dad is my dad <laughs> you know to me he was superman and you know that's that's how i'll always remember him um unfortunately he got sick and he wasn't Superman anymore. And, and the last thing I do remember of him is, is being, you know, old and sick and weak. But, um, you know, that's not who he was. And so, but, yeah, my dad was, he was, he was a good man. I'll drink to that. I will have some ice cream to that. <laughs> you and the ice cream. You're lactose intolerant, man. Uh, I told you, I'm a glutton for punishment. And I'm not glutton free. Gluten free. Gluten, <laughs> gluten, gluten, gluten free. I'm <laughs> Glutton. So tonight, um, yeah, you know, you are definitely not glutton free. <laughs> tonight we've uh, tonight we've alienated the vegans, the gluten free audience, perhaps the uh, I don't know. Let's <laughs> let's continue well, on. If we return next week, we'll come up with a list and get the rest of them. Uh, this is the segment of the show where we talk about uh, a historical piece of uh, Bigfoot evidence, Bigfoot film footage. Bigfoot video footage, something historical uh, in the world of Bigfootery. And this week, because it's appropriate, uh, we've chosen the Freeman footage. Yes, that that is correct. So uh, we've we've sprinkled, peppered a little bit of it here and there, some thoughts on it. And as we did last uh, episode with Cliff, we tried to pick something fitting, and we're, we're doing it again. And we're going to try to get Mike involved. He's been kind enough to stay through this uh, uh, insanity and, and stayed uh, kept the course and uh, been real level-headed through this, but uh, so from what I understand, there's a lot of misinformation online, uh, a lot of confusion. A lot of people put it at 94. It's 92. Uh, I believe it's August 20th. Everybody knows the famous footage. A lot of people say it's the second best. Some people say it's the first best. Uh, no matter where you rank it, it's one of the best. Um, and no matter what people think of your dad, even those who may say that he falsified a lot of evidence, um, he was a hoaxer. Even those people, a lot of them will say this is the real deal um, because it speaks for itself. I know we've discussed the timeline and the time frame of it and, and what it means. Um, so I, we're just all going to give our thoughts on it. I mean, Sean, you can say it. Mike, you can say it. And like I said, we touched on it, but I think we should expand a little bit more on it. So, Mike, anything you want to add about the uh, credibility or validity of the film or any, any other thoughts? Uh, well, first of all, you're correct. August 20th. 1992. Uh, I know a lot of people think that it's 1994. I hear that a lot. Uh, the copyright was placed on it in 1994. And you will see some versions of it that say copyright Paul Freeman 
1994. That's where that confusion comes from, but it was 1992. Um, as far as the video goes, I guess um, what a lot of people don't realize is that it wasn't just a lucky one-time deal where he decided to drive up to Dita Spring without his video camera, and there he goes, you know, across the screen, and he gets footage. Um, he'd actually been going to Dita Spring for quite some time, for a long time, years, as a matter of fact. But that particular summer was a very dry summer. Most of the water sources were getting very low or had dried up. And it was one of the only usable water sources in that area that was still actually functioning. And so he had a pretty good idea that some place that they may possibly be frequenting. And he was getting up early in the morning before daybreak. He was going up there every day. Nothing. Every day, nothing. He'd find a footprint. He might find a handprint. He might find some sign that they were there. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And he had it in his brain that he was missing them, that he was going too late. And so he started to get up earlier. They must be coming to get water before he gets there because they're aware of his presence. Well, the night before, August 19th, um, my sister's car had broken down. And she wasn't able to get to work. And that morning, August 20th, my dad decided he was going to go to my sister's house and fix her car. And so he didn't go at his normal time up to the spring. He actually went and fixed her car. And that took, you know, two or three hours. And when that was done, he had come home. And he wasn't even going to go to the mountains that day. And for whatever reason, he decided, oh, you know, what the heck. I'm going to go ahead and go up there anyway, see if they were there this morning, maybe, you know, get some new casts or whatever. And he ended up being there about five hours later than he normally would. And he walked right up on them. And so instead of thinking that they were coming earlier to avoid him, they were obviously coming later to avoid him. And the fact that my sister's car broke down is probably the luckiest thing that ever happened to him, like in regards to like, you know, Bigfoot um, and that type of research because him being late that day surprised them. He walked right up on them. That's a great bit of uh, insight for those because, like I said, we only have the video and that's what most people know of it or what other people may have said based on other people based on other people. And that's part of the beauty of having you on the show is to clarify and give this director's behind-the-scenes look at it. Mm -hmm. um, Sean, what do, you, what do you have to say, bud? Again, I, I've said many times over the years that the footage that uh, Paul took, to me, is the best piece of uh, Bigfoot film footage that there that there is, film, video, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think there's a lot of genuineness when he's, uh, you know, the whole setting. Because, you know, we only get to see a short amount of it. You know, we only get the video that we see. We don't know the backstory up until now. As he comes across the creature, you know, definitely startled. I think the emotion behind it. Is very telling to me, and and to, that's just still today after all these years. Twenty, you know, I've been researching this since I was a young, very young man. Uh, it's it's the most important piece of uh, film footage for me. I place it above the Patterson film. That's just my personal take. I've just always feel, felt it to be valid, and uh, that's where I stand by it. And you know, I just want to say, and I think it's important for people to know, we're not giving Mike lip service. You know. Um, 
he is a friend of mine. Uh, obviously, we're having him as a guest, and we're not trying to kiss butt or anything like that. You know, what we say is genuinely what we feel. I've always felt like Paul Freeman is the real deal, and I've always thought it's been uh, unfortunate that he hasn't had a chance to defend himself from a lot of people. And I'm with Sean. I think it's a great piece of evidence, and whether you want to rank it one or two, it doesn't matter because it's all these years later, I think, after the Patterson film, which I believe was 67. Uh, you, we needed something that would kind of respark because there hasn't been anything great since then, and this kind of carried it forward into the next generation. And I think that's important. And no matter what you think of Paul, or based on what you read, or, or whatever, what have you, um, we owe a debt of gratitude just for this piece of footage alone. Not to mention everything else. Agreed. Agreed. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. You know, to the point the Patterson film. You know, I've met Bob Gimlin. Bob Gimlin's a very nice guy. I I don't know the validity of the Patterson film. I believe Bob Gimlin's telling me the truth. They've beaten that film up to death, you know, to the point where I don't think anybody's going to relent either way. If it's proved a hoax or not, it's never going to be definitive, right? Nobody's done that with the Freeman film, the Freeman footage. Uh, I don't remember a single time someone's tried to replicate it or, or duplicate it. One, I'm fine with that. Two that in itself is telling there's a lot more there there's a lot more movement there's a lot more to the freeman uh, footage than there is to the patterson film in my opinion it's just important to me and uh, mike and i've never talked before uh this is our first time having a conversation together this show so i have no reason to fluff anything you folks are listening to how i uh, truly feel in the moment like and i've said that for many many years um on plenty of audio tape video audio tape plenty of media some way shape or form you can hear me talk about what i think about the freeman film and that's just where i'm at with it mess mike I, I don't have more to say to it that's just how i feel and i appreciate that and uh you know i think on a lot of levels obviously the patterson film and, and my dad's are you know different um they're definitely one and two no matter which way you rank them, I, I think that's pretty obvious. I don't think there's any other footage that is even going to compare to either one of those. And I, I do think that my dad's film has some qualities about it that do make it, in some aspects, better than the Patterson film. I mean, the audio being, you know, obviously, number one, the, the big one. And I guess what a lot of people don't realize as well is that there's more to that footage than what you just see, the, than what's online, than what people are trying to enhance. Uh, there's a lot more to that footage after, you know, the initial encounter where it walks in front of the tree and disappears. He continues down the road. There's actually a second Bigfoot in that video. Um, and a lot of people are aware of that, that, you know, comes at him from a different angle. Um, and you can hear him say, oh, there's two of them, I guess. Um, later in retrospect, you know, I think that adds to the fact that it could have been a female with, you know, uh, at least one smaller one with him. Uh, or with her, I should say, I guess. My dad would tell you that there was three of them. And there was another one that he saw that you can't really see, you know, on the video. But um, that actually turned out to, if you know any of the history of it, not being a very pleasant situation. It's something that actually really frightened my dad um, as he was continuing with the camera and eventually turns the camera off uh, for self-preservation, which he chose over filming. Because in the process of this, they actually got behind him as he was trying to track them and ended up following him um, for quite some time and to the point where he actually went down over a hill and hid himself in the hollow of an old uh, fallout log that was down over the hill 
And supposedly, at least according to him, and it's not, you know, something that was recorded, but he was, you know, stuck down there for quite some time as they made some noise and rolled some rocks down the hill and were not very happy with him being there. And he eventually crawled himself out of there and, and looped around and got back to his truck. But, you know, there is an interview and it's, uh, you know, a quote of his that you hear a lot. And I believe it's even on the, the original PSR uh, or the Nocturnal Journal uh, ad where he says, you know, that something told him that he better just leave him alone. Um, and you know, that was the last time he ever saw one, the last time he ever had any type of an encounter. And you can chalk that up to he just wasn't lucky again, or you can chalk that up to maybe he decided that he shouldn't ever put himself that close again. Well, that's uh, pretty awesome, man. <laughs> that's really made a, a one-dimensional piece of history, three-dimensional for, for me and for a lot of people. And I love the authenticity in you telling the story, and I, I hope that our listeners can hear that as well. Um, so, I mean, Sean, I think we can move on to our next segment. Uh, what do you say? Hell Yeah. All right, I'm going to say that. That's a yes. Um, so we're going to play with you a little game that we debuted last uh, last episode with Cliff Barrickman. Uh, it's called Missing Link, and basically it's word association. So I'm going to throw at you some of these. Uh, they're either going to be people's names, um, subjects, all kinds of things. And uh, you can just give in a few words or however you want to say it, a sentence, the first thing that comes to mind. So in its simplest form, it's word association. What happened? Uh, we will eventually. If we don't, we'll throw in some bad names. No. Uh, so <laughs> you can you can say plead the fifth for any of them too. Uh, don't steal all that. All right, now. all right. You really can't. I'll edit in something from somewhere else, or I'll have Sean do it, and it'll make. I, I will not better. edit that. <laughs> you will do it. I'm waving my hand like a Jedi. Um, all right. Are you ready, Mike? Uh, as ready as I'll ever be, I suppose. All right. Let's start with uh, Tom Powell. Tom Powell. Well, we touched on him earlier. Um, first thing that comes to mind when I think of him is just respect. Great guy. Um, wrote a really nice article um, on my dad one time. That's one of the favorite pieces I've ever read about him that was genuine and down to earth and just from a, a really, really personal level. And even wrote about my mother in it and included her and in her interactions oh. you know, with my dad. And, um, you know, really, really respectful. Yeah. I believe it's called, uh, the ultimate field man, something like that. Um, if you haven't read it, just, it's a, it's a good read. He had a lot of respect for your father. In fact, uh, a quote I saw is he's referred to your father as the best Bigfoot field tracker ever. Yes. Yeah. Um, I actually have, uh, a picture of my dad during the interview with him. That's got that, uh, quote superimposed over the top of it. Yeah, quite awesome. possibly the best Bigfoot tracker of all time, yep. is what it says. Well, you're definitely from the Cliff School of answering these in, in one or two words. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We, we appreciate it from both of you gentlemen. You guys are awesome. And Maz Adams, uh, oh, dickhead. That's no, how... um, I'll do better on the next one. I'll do better no, on the kidding. next one. I, I, you both are no, 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 I'm kidding. And I just wanted to preface preface this after the fact, which makes it not a preface, but is that uh, these these can be things we mentioned earlier, just to sum them up. And again, my apologies, I'm just kidding around with you. Uh, um, the Patterson well, because I run my mouth all the time, and I just tell, I just keep talking, so I'm, I've already covered everything. We're a match made in heaven, my friend. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Alan, uh, or excuse me, what the heck? <laughs> I was looking at something on the computer there. What the hell is Alan? <laughs> uh, I was looking. I was looking at a Star Wars thing, so it was oh, Alan okay. Tudyk. I'm sorry. Okay. You can. You don't have to. I don't even know if you know who he is. But uh, <laughs> the Patterson film. Patterson film. Yes, sir. Sorry, I thought I misheard you there for a second. Okay, let's do that one again. Ah, he's getting snippy with me. Uh oh, someone taking uh, <laughs> this bottle. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. You can man. edit it. You can edit it. He's like, oh, ask me another one we just talked Here, about. Let's try this one again. Maz Adams, dickhead. Okay. All right. Next okay. Thing. Moving on. All right. <laughs> oh, man. This is getting real. All right. You want to pick another one then? Patterson film. Did, did we not want to do <laughs> Patterson film? No, we'll do We'll do a different one. I'm sorry. Okay. I didn't realize. Uh, how about uh, bu- 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 uh, King Kong? King Kong. Love King Kong. Uh, the original with Faye Ray. Uh, one of my favorite classics. Uh, got a diorama model that I built that I'm not entirely happy with, but uh, yeah, I love King Kong. Love the the Peter Jackson uh, remake of it as well. Um, I would have loved to have been alive when that came out in theaters because it had to have been something that was terrifying. Uh, how about uh, the? Uh, we're going to go a little off topic here, but still in the paranormal since we are a nocturnal journal. Uh, the Roswell crash of 1947—that's the UFO crash. Oh, geez. Um, you know, I'm going to be honest. I actually don't know a whole lot about that. Um, first thing that comes to mind: uh, cover-ups. Definitely, um, I'm, and I believe there was some kind of alien autopsy video that was made off of that or something. I don't know. I've never seen that i don't believe but uh i'm not very good at answering these math well i'm not very good at asking them apparently so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> i should just think oh, oh, oh dust bunnies no i'm just kidding uh how about uh what, what's that movie like suspirium oh yeah that's my favorite movie of all time yeah, uh, well, you can expand on it because I know you love it. 1977, Dario Argento, uh, just kind of a Escherish, beautiful nightmare sequence. Love Suspiria. Um, anyone who's never seen it, uh, you got to go out and get it on Blu-ray. That beautiful movie, haunting score as well. Just it's, that thing is perfect all the way around, except for the acting and the screenplay and everything else. Terrible, but. The visuals are great. How about, uh, the visuals are great. Sounds like you're talking about one of my kind of movies. The, the acting is terrible, but the visuals are great. Sean knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, how about horror, horror movies in general, modern horror movies? What are your thoughts on those? Modern horror garbage. Cabbage. Uh, yeah. Cabbage. Cabbage. Um, no, I mean, there's, there's some, there's some good stuff that, that pops up now and then. Um, and I've, I've seen a few films uh, recently that aren't too bad. Um, I think the last great horror film that was made is probably The Ring, actually. Um, I don't think there's been anything better than that made since. Um, I much prefer, like, 70s and, and 80s horror. But uh, I'll watch every one that comes out anyway, because that's just me. Okay, how about, again, we're going to touch on something we've already talked about. Uh, Grover Krantz. Uh, love Grover Trance, too. Um, I think Grover, very smart man, um, and I think probably could have accomplished even more than what he did. 
uh, one of the things uh, I always think about when I think of Grover is an interview that he gave and him basically saying that, you know, the Patterson film is a great evidence to look at from a distance, but you can't touch it. You can't hold it and you can't examine it. And that he's more interested in that hard evidence that he can hold in front of himself and that he can look at. Um, and I do believe uh, that he said that the 82 dermal prints that my dad made were the best hard evidence that he's ever seen of the existence of Bigfoot. And I heard that he threw legendary parties. I've heard the story that he threw <laughs> legendary parties on campus, by the way. You Hefner eat your heart out. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yes. Oh, uh, look at my you. look at my big foot. Mm. Yeah, oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, you can't win them all. Uh, how about the Loch Ness monster? Loch Oh, Nessie. Um, you know, I was actually like always been pretty interested in in Nessie. Um, it's kind of sad that it seems like she probably doesn't actually exist, but. Um, you know, definitely something for that that classic uh, cryptid thing. Um, always been a little more interested in what's the one from South America or so South America, Africa, Munkeli uh, Mbede. If you know what that is, it's like the the brontosaurus that lives in the jungle. Um, that one to me has always been a little more interesting than Nessie, but um, I think Nessie's probably even before Bigfoot, maybe like my first exposure to like the cryptid world. I'm not gonna lie to you. I thought you were talking about Baby's Kids. Okay, I love that movie, but I didn't know it was. Great. Um. Ah, uh, it's a great. That's a great old movie. Uh, you still it, Maz? You still there, man? You're low, Maz. You're very quiet. I can barely hear you, brother. I can there barely you hear you. All right. How are we in business? Nah, now you're in business. That's now, now you sound Oh, that's yeah. because I I didn't realize that in order to be heard, the microphone has to be by the mouth. Yeah. You know, Sean. Oh, I, I, right. You're the uh, you're the technical guy here, so I was really counting on you to help me with this. You dropped the ball. Well, th- th- never mind. We we can the go ball on. the ball the ball dropped when I was thirteen. I know you. Were uh, yeah, I was, well, I didn't want you to were, go that's there. Where you were barking, that tree you were barking up. Uh, <laughs> I had I had my phone on the other side of the couch for half of the interview because I just didn't want to listen to you. So. <laughs> Oh, oh, I, I don't know oh, if offended or no. I love it. I, I, I like. I love the chase. Um. <laughs> anyway, how that's about what the court I documents shine? say. What happened? I said that's what the court documents say. You like to eh, chase? Well, who I don't. I don't. You know who? Uh, if you don't read them, they don't exist. Sean. <laughs> uh, how about I shine? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, you are trying to get me in trouble now. Um, I shine. Wow. Um. I think that's a stretch. I, I mean, honestly, um, there's so many different things out there that you can catch in a flashlight. They're going to do that. Trail markers, headlights, uh, the other 250 animals that, you know, reside in that uh, 100 square meter like place you're walking around in that are capable of doing that. Um, I personally don't believe Bigfoot has eyeshine. Uh, that is just my, my personal belief. Um, but I know a lot of people that do, uh, I just grow a little wary of every single picture that's posted online. Somebody else finds like eyeshine in it 
like somewhere. Um, yeah, uh, first thing that comes to mind on that is just that that's a stretch. I mean, that that that's what we get for hard evidence these days, and that's pretty sad. So many opportunities, Sean. I'm gonna let it go. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, anyway. I can't keep uh, up about- with him. It's okay. Nobody can. <laughs> Not even my brain or my mouth. Uh, <laughs> how about Finding Bigfoot? Never seen it. I have uh, never watched a single episode. Um, I've seen some commercials for it. I was approached by them uh, to do the show. Didn't really have any interest in doing that. Um, yeah, I don't have much to say about that. I've heard... Uh, Cliff is a, a nice guy. Um, I've had some email correspondence with him, but uh, never personally met him. Uh, sounded like uh, educated and informed, you know, on the last episode of the Nocturnal Journal, and I enjoyed listening to that. But uh, I've never seen Finding Bigfoot and probably will never watch Finding Bigfoot. Well, we appreciate the plug. It just doesn't do much good if you do it on our show because if they don't listen, then they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, I'll gladly plug your show. I'll do it on the episode so no one will ever hear it. <laughs> Smart man. Well, I plugged everybody. I plugged oh. everybody else, so you know, I might yeah. as well plug you as well. Uh you, you Inception plugged us. I'm gonna plug inside a plug. Uh, let's see. Uh, how about Renee DeHinden? Uh Renee DeHinden. Yeah. Uh, first thing that comes to mind with him is just. Uh, the funny little guy, I guess, because that's how I remember him when I was a kid. No, um, just kind of had that funny accent, uh, was a little guy. Um, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of things that Renata Hinden had said. Um, and I think there comes a point with researchers, especially in the earlier days, where they may or may not have been more concerned with keeping the other guy from finding evidence um, and not as concerned with finding evidence themselves, not mentioning any names like Grenada Hinden, but uh, it could have been uh, a possibility. Um, You know, yeah, uh, the only memories I really have of him when I was, like, you know, really young and... and, um, don't remember ever having a personal conversation with him or anything like that, but uh, you know, he made some funny commercials for Kokanee. <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask a couple more. I didn't know if you thought of anyone. That was another plug. Did you notice how I got Kokanee mm-hmm. Bear in there? Yeah, I'm trying to ignore them because if, if I ignore <laughs> them, if I, you know, maybe they're not legitimate them. unless Maz, unless Maz Maz says so. Like <laughs> that's how I live my life. You know, I mean, I think uh, you know Renata Hinden. Um, it's a shame he never actually got to see one before he died. I, I, I will say that. I think that he put enough years in that he probably deserved to actually have an encounter. I agree. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we all should, right? Be so lucky. Except for Eric Beckard. He gets no Bigfoot. And me, actually, now I think about it. I haven't really done much. Anyway, um, <laughs> how about uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum? Mustache. Um, Sorry. Yeah, uh, I've had, you know, I've met Jeff Meldrum, um, you know, when he came to our house, um, you know, in 96. Uh, I haven't personally, you know, stood in front of him, had a conversation with him since, but uh, we've had some 
some email conversations. I, I think Jeff Meldrum deserves a lot of credit um, for bringing legitimacy to the field uh, through his work. How about uh, just the online community? Uh, I think it's good. I think it's a good thing uh, for the field to have an online community, have people sharing and, and banding together. Um, I think it uh, can get a little out of control, and there's not um, enough legitimate sites or legitimate people running things the right way uh, for it to be taken as a whole seriously. Um, but for the most part, I think it does a lot of good. Mike, again, thanks very much for joining us. We've appreciated your candor, the fun, uh, the tolerance. Uh, it, it's just been an all-around good experience for us. I hope it's been a great experience for you. And uh, thanks for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, a great experience. Um, the tolerance, you know, I only have to tolerate masks, so <laughs> that wasn't so bad. Not as much as my mirror has to tolerate me, so... But uh, I just feel bad. I just feel bad for Danielle. I mean, you know, when it comes uh, down to it, she knew what she was getting into. She had ten years to decide, man. <laughs> ten years. She could have said no. She could have. <laughs> She's smart oh. like a fox. But uh, no, I thought I could think before we go. You know, I'm gonna obviously summarize too, and uh, I just wanted to. I think we're gonna make a little announcement or something like that. I don't know. Oh yes, go ahead, Maz. Are you we guys little... take it out? I don't know. Are we? Are you supposed to? Are we? It's in the are script. We? Oh, we are, aren't we? Yeah. If it's in the script, if I, if we wrote it. So anyway, uh, obviously, you know, Mike and I are friends, and uh, we're so honored that he decided to make this the first show he comes on. Hopefully, we didn't ruin the experience for him. Maybe we did. Doesn't matter because we got him anyway. But uh, you know, uh, if anything, hopefully, the people listening can see that uh, Mike's sitting on a wealth of uh, of stories that only he can tell in regards to his father and. He is that link I talked about earlier um, to to the past and seeing things through new eyes. And I believe that there's so much information out there uh, in books and other medium as relates to Bigfoot that is just regurgitated over and over again. And it's the same information and nothing new is mentioned. And and Mike has a uh, a unique opportunity to tell uh, part of history that hasn't been told before. So I, I'm proud to announce that Mike and I are working on something together. Um, that will help carry forward this legacy and let uh, th this new generation of people interested in Bigfoot kids, uh, adults, whoever, um, know about his father and so that his voice will carry on. Um, so we're just super excited about that, and we'll be working on that this year together. Very well said. That's great news. I'm looking forward to it. I thought I'd say First one thing. thing. I've heard about that, so I don't know what's going on. Oh, well, we already drew it up. I got it. You signed it in blood, so we're good now. But, uh, you know, and like I said, no, Mike... <laughs> nah, it's cool, man. You're, you're, uh, you're a good friend. You know, like I said, I, I never imagined, you know, I'd, I'd make a friend off of eBay because I thought that's illegal and that's what Craigslist is for. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a great guy and a great friend and just so happens to be that you... Uh, you have that relation, uh, you know, to Bigfoot community and something that I got over really quick. I know you used to kind of creep you out the, uh, the whole, uh, I don't want to say fanboying out or whatever, but you know, it's, uh, it's cool to be able to hear this stuff from you, but it's better to be able to call you my friend. So I appreciate that. And I know Sean, uh, I'm probably speaking for you, but this has been great because Sean's never heard any of this or talked to Mike as we've said. So it's awesome. Yeah, it was a good experience. I had a lot of fun guys and, uh, I don't know probably can tell or whatever but um it makes me a little nervous and it makes me a little awkward and anytime um anyone ever approaches me and uh 
treats me like I'm any type of celebrity. Uh, I kind of back off a little bit because it's just something I'm not used to and, and I don't see myself that way uh, whatsoever. But one thing I, I really do appreciate and I want to stress is uh, the respect for my father um, and the way that he's, he's putting a good light and the respect that you guys have for him. Uh, it's something that he would appreciate and something that I dearly appreciate. So I just want to thank both of you uh, for that and for keeping his memory as alive as we possibly can and for having me on the show. I tossed around the idea of including opinions from other researchers, both past and present. Still, due to a lack of quality from past recorded interviews, as well as not being able to find rebuttals and claims that were not also associated with character attacks, I went against it. What I hope you take away from this is that Paul Freeman was a passionate researcher that spent a lot of time in the field, who got really lucky and captured some interesting evidence. Paul sacrificed a great deal of time with his family because he experienced something that changed his life, and it compelled him to keep at it right until his untimely passing. Though his reputation may be marred with claims of hoaxing and evidence fabrication, claims that are unproven, it goes without saying that Paul Freeman dedicated his life to this research, and that in itself is noteworthy. You've been listening to Sasquatch Experience. Please rate and review wherever this podcast is consumed. To share your experience, visit us on Facebook or email us, squatchexperience at gmail.com. Keep on squatching.